Okay, so this is our Bible study for 1707. This is our first uh, Bible study for uh, for the new year. Um, so uh, we were just talking a little bit, uh, and I'm just going to touch on this, that last night, um, or I, it was really in the last day or so, Israel has um, basically, basically been really threatening Iran, because Iran, wasn't it? Iran, that they're going to, they're, they're going to nuke them. And uh, now David Bay's ministry has been covering this for a long, long time. The whole thing in the Middle East where, where uh, you've got um, this powder keg over there with Iraq and Iran and, and um, really all the Islamic states. Because, see, they're bound more by their religion than anything else. More than by... Because by, uh, I guarantee you they, all those Islamic nations would all get on the same page if it was under Allah. Okay? And I'm going to talk about that a little bit. And if that were to happen, most likely the scenario, and there's a high possibility, that Russia and China might join in too, which um, would probably cause the United States to ultimately back out, um, which would probably spell our doom as well. <laughs> Either e, uh, it, it wouldn't be a good scenario if we were to do that, and Israel may, may be there by itself. I, I Israel is going to stay Israel, no matter what. God's not going to let him be wiped off the planet. It's not going to happen. I mean, um, we know that because they're talked about in, in, in Revelation, in, in the whole thing about how Israel came together, basically, in a day. And um, in 1948, that they became an actual nation. And God brought them back. And there's all kind of Bible, Bible references you can look at for that. Um, but most likely the scenario would be is if World War III were to take place and this were to happen, what would end up happening is, is out of the ashes of World War III would arise a man that would have a solution to it all. And he'd say, hey, hey, guys, come on now. Let's all get on the same page. I'm a man of peace. And uh, let's sit down and let's, let's, let's strike this covenant between, you know, these states and we'll have peace. And that's what everybody's been supporting. Although the Muslims really aren't looking for peace. We're going to see that in a second. They're not. Taylor, please don't start interrupting me right off the bat. What? I was just wondering, you said that our thing, we would be, our country would still be if we got out of the war. Because if we turn our back on Israel, most likely God's going to turn his back on us. We've already turned our back on, on God for the most part in this nation anyway. Okay, but... And we've, we, true, we've sent out more missionaries and, 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 and done, I mean, I think that, that the fruits of all that is one of the things that has probably stayed God's hand from, from bringing judgment on us up to this point. Um, that is, a, as bad as the church has gotten, as apostate as things are, um, you got to wonder, just from that standpoint, how much longer God can withhold judgment. You know, the, the, all the aborted babies and the sodomites are taken over and, and the, all the things that are going on in Hollywood and, and uh, all the wickedness in, in the government. And uh, just from that standpoint. But, it, but if we go that extra step and really, really just abandon Israel, you know, it's not going to be good from a biblical standpoint. And out of the ashes of, World, of that World War III, the Antichrist would arise and he would confirm that covenant for a week. And so that's the scenario that, that we could be looking at very, very shortly right now. Now, And that would basically be the start of the seven-year tribulation um, when he confirms the covenant. Because Daniel says in the book of Daniel, he says he will confirm the covenant for a week. 
So we could be, of course, I've been saying this for about a year, we could be right on the cusp of this. Um, it's, it's a matter of, okay, God's timetable, really. Because God's in control, he's on the throne, he's not going to let anything surprise him. He already knows the beginning from the end, so it's not going to take him by surprise. So, um, I, I said this, um, this is an interesting point, because it kind of segues into what I'm already talking about. There's a st- story that ran this week, Uncle Sam wants the U.S. Muslims to serve. Now, I've been waiting to write this email for a long time. In fact, I wrote two or three emails this week I've been wanting to write for probably about three or four years. Okay? Of course, what I'll do many times is I'll use a very, very good source and I'll add to it, but I'll always give them credit. I don't want to take credit for stuff. I could care less who gets credit. I just want truth to get out there. I've had people accuse me of that before. Oh, you're just trying to... I'm like, I gave them credit. What do you want me to do? Here's a link to their website. I, I, could, I don't even have, right now, I don't even have an official website. I've got some websites for the silver, i got a website for the silver and, and, and those things, but I don't even have a website right now. Um, my providers, for, for the one little website that I did have, just kind of left and went, and I don't have a website anymore, so, you know, as far as that goes, you know, it doesn't hold water. Um, and what I did is I sprinkled a whole bunch of pictures of these of Muslims, and um, these these pictures are from a uh, from a recent um, demonstration they had in London on February third, two thousand and six. This was their religion of peace demonstration. This was after they ran those cartoons or whatever, and and the Muslims got all offended, you know, about that. They they go, now it's okay for them to go and in and slaughter the Jews, and, 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 and say that they hate us, and, and, and burn all the effigies they burn of, of different people, and say, and all the stuff that the Quran says, that's okay. But you make one little joke about them, and they're going to just kill you and wipe you out. You know why? Because their true colors come out so easy. That's the thing I like about Muslims. They're, they, you know, they're such liars, this whole religion. And they act like, oh, no, this is a religion of peace. Just just do anything to them and see what kind of religion of peace they are. In this first picture, you've got a whole bunch of Muslims, and it says Europe is the cancer, Islam is the answer. And then there, this other picture says, exterminate those who slander Islam. Okay, right here. Now, these are the Muslims that have these posters. I'm not making this up. So, you could say, well, you're being prejudiced. No, I'm not. This is them. You can, I, I'm not prejudiced. I'm giving you facts. The Pentagon has built an Islamic prayer room and hires e-imams to make military life more appealing. Oh, well, that's what we want to do. We want to make military life more appealing to a Muslim. Imams. Those are like a Muslim cleric or priest or whatever you want to call them. And then I've got a little track here that, that, that Jack Chick just put out this last couple years. It's called Men of Peace, and it basically exposes the whole Muslim heresy thing. Um... The Islamic Quran commands Muslims to kill infidels. Period. Now, if I was ever put on a talk show, I, I hear these various stupid talk shows sometimes on the radio. Oh, well, you know, they always downplay the whole Islamic thing and things like this many times they'll do. And see, what I would go to every time is let's go down to where the rubber meets the road. Let's go down to what is the religion that you're representing based on. What are the tenets of that religion? Because if you're a fundamental if you're fundamental to your religion, if you're a fundamentalist, 
which is which you would think would be good. I mean, if you're a fundamental Christian, that's good. You observe the tenets of the Christian. You you observe the fundamental doctrines of the Bible. Fundamental. Okay. If you're a fundamental Muslim, you should be doing what your holy book says. That's what they call it. Their holy Quran. It's it's unholy. But you should be doing that if you're a good Muslim, don't you think? Well, here's what it says. The Islamic Quran commands Muslims to kill infidels, and I'm going to prove it. In Islam, the Arabic word is kafar. This is the this is the word for infidel. Now, this word is translated and, and is always refers to non-Muslims. So, if, if you are an infidel, you are a non-Muslim. That is translated in the Arabic word kafar. It is often used in a derogatory sense and is usually translated into the English as either infidel or unbeliever. Is everybody clear on this? Okay, so we're supposed to, the, the, the Islamic Quran commands to kill the infidels. Let's look at some quotes from the Islamic Quran. Let's look at some, some quotes today. This is, now, they have different, their, their main, the, the main book of the Quran is the Surah. Like, we have Psalms and Proverbs. Well, Surah 3360 says, Allah has cursed the unbelievers and has proposed for them a blazing hell. Oh, that's nice. Surah 41.14 says, Unbelievers are enemies of Allah and they will roast in hell. Well, now we're going to roast. Okay. Who's Allah? Well, he's the moon god. He's a devil. That's all he is. Let's just look at that real super quick. Who is Allah? Because you could say, oh, well, that's, that's the God of the Bible. No, it's not. It's not the God of the Bible. In fact, Jack Trick wrote another whole track on this, Allah had no son, proving that he is absolutely the moon God. Anybody that would look into this, this issue with any kind of depth would quickly realize he's not God. Of course, that's what they try to fool us into thinking that he is, because Americans typically will buy whatever is fed them. The religion of Islam has its focus on the worship of a deity named Allah. The Muslims claim Allah in pre-Islamic times was the biblical god of the patriarchs, prophets, and apostles. The issue is thus one of continuity. Was Allah the biblical god or pagan god in Arabia during pre-Islamic times? The Muslims' claim of the continuity of Allah being basically the god we worship as Christians is essential in their attempt to convert Jews and Christians for if Allah is part of the flow of divine revelation in scripture then it is the next biblical religion. Okay, that's how they do it. Um, thus, we should all become Muslims. But on the other hand, if Allah is a pre-Islamic deity, then the core of its claim is refuted. Um, as we shall see, the hard evidence demonstrates that the god Allah is a pagan deity. In fact, he is the moon god who was married to the sun goddess, and the stars were his daughters. There's a. This is a, a picture of a actual... Um, of, of Allah, the moon god, from all four sides. This is a real ancient carving of it. And you'll see a crescent moon right on its chest. And, and you notice on the Islamic flag, um, on the Islamic flag, um, a moon in a crescent star. Now what that also represents, when you see a crescent star on a moon, that represents Simramis and Nimrod. Okay? Um, the crescent moon is representative of Semiramis, or the female deity, because it's the crescent moon. Think of the female sex organ. Okay, it's the receptacle. Whereas the star is in the middle of that, and that's representative of the male phallus as well. So you can get really, you know, 
you can get into this. But that's what all these things mean. Every, my, my point is, is that everything that you could get into with this corrupt religion or any corrupt religion is all evil. All of it's symbolically evil, if the truth be known. None of it's good. Um, archaeologists have uncovered temples to the moon god throughout the Middle East, from the mountains of Turkey to the banks of the Nile. It was the most widespread religion of the ancient world, was the worship of the moon god. Now, this is, this, this is no different than the Jews having the hexagram as their, as their symbol. Well, where did that come? Well, basically, through high-level witchcraft, it was probably most likely the seal of Solomon when he went and fell away. Not the Star of David, but I do believe it was most likely the seal of Solomon. And it was incorporated through high-level occultists, particularly through Jewish mysticism and the Kabbalah, and was basically put on that American, uh, that Islamic flag through the Rothschilds, who had a big, big part in in getting this and appropriating the land that where Israel is right now. Through what, through in 1917, the Balfour Declaration, Lord Balfour gave this land, and then the Rothschilds had a lot to do with 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 getting Israel their nation state. Now, a lot of people would say, no, no, God had everything to do with it. Well, God's still on the throne. He can he can let whoever he wants to do. Do his bidding for him, okay? But if you go to Jerusalem right now, there are there are whole roads named after the Rothschilds and the Rockefellers, whole streets. In fact, the Rockefellers, I believe it's the Rockefellers, it's the Rothschilds, they have a whole museum of antiquities, which is the main antiquity museum in Jerusalem that does all of the archaeological excavations. So see, God's still on the throne, but you know, you, you gotta look into these things a little bit uh, closer. Um, so anyway, and there was an interesting point here I wanted to touch on. Um, the Assyrians, Babylonians, and, and Akkadians took the word soon and transformed it into the word sin. Um, I'm gonna, uh, let's see here. Okay, here. I'm, I'm, I'm getting him. As demonstrated by... Um, the ancient Sumerians, they worshipped a moon god who was named by many different names. The most popular names were Nana, Sun, or Asmababar. Okay. His symbol was the crescent moon. It is clear that it was the dominant religion in Samaria. The cult of the moon god was the most popular religion throughout ancient Mesopotamia. The Assyrians, Babylonians, and Akkadians took the word Sun and transformed it into the word Sin. S-I-N is their favorite name for the moon god. Isn't that amazing? His name's Sin. <laughs> How appropriate. <laughs> As Professor Potts pointed out, quote, Sin is, is a name essentially Sumerian in origin, which had been borrowed by the Semites. In ancient Sumerian Canaan, the moon god Sin is usually represented by the moon in its crescent phase. So, in other words, you know, we could go on and on with that point, and I'm not going to belabor that, but it's, it's the moon god. It's what we're dealing with when we talk about Allah. Here's another quote. Surah 9-123. Fight the unbelievers who are near you. And another translation reads, Believers make war on infidels that dwell around you. Let, that, let them find harshness in you. Another source reads, Ye who believe murder those disbelievers. Now, if you're serving, if the Pentagon recruits you as a Muslim into the armed services for America, and you're a Muslim, your true first allegiance lies to Allah. There's, there's no other... Okay, how could you... You're, you're, you're commanded to kill the unbelievers right here. You're commanded to kill them. 
how, how can you reconcile that with serving America and the country and being commanded by the Quran to kill the unbelievers? Well, you're surrounded by unbelievers. If you're a Muslim, you've got to kill them all. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and this has happened in, in, in um, I, I think more than once over in the Gulf War where we, we you would have a, a Muslim that was serving on our side, you know, Really, uh, the Muslims, all, all the Muslims would say is, well, he finally got right with Allah. He did what he was supposed to do. You know, they would, they would view it like, okay, he finally did the right thing. Um, this is from Washington, this story. Uh, it says, as U.S. troops battle Islamic extremists abroad, the Pentagon and the armed forces are reaching out to the Muslims at home. An underlying goal is to interest more Muslims in the military. What an asinine assumption. I mean, Unbelievable. The military, which needs officers and troops who can speak Arabic and other relevant languages and understand the culture of places like Iraq and Afghanistan. Well, you know something, Doug? You know what we need to do? We need to recruit some Satanists in here, into our little home church. I think that would be the thing to do. Because then we could reach the Satanists. It's no different. It's no different. It's no different, really, than what most of the churches are doing, where they go out and act like the world or recruit the world into their church in order to reach the world, which is which is totally unbiblical. Um, Pentagon officials say we're striving for mutual understanding with Muslims at home. Isn't that nice? West Point and other service academies have opened Muslim prayer rooms and military installations. Uh, here, here's another picture of, of these wonderful Muslims at this peace demonstration. One picture says, Slay those who insult Islam. Europe, you will pay. Demolition is on the way. Behead those who insult Islam. Butcher those who, who mock Islam. Nice people. Yeah. Yeah. Now, here's another one. Surah 2.191. Slay the unbeliever wherever you find them and drive them out of places whence they drove you out, for persecution is worse than slaughter. Surah 193 says, Fight against them. Until idolatry is no more, and Allah's religion reigns supreme. See, that's the thing they want. They want Allah's religion to reign supreme over, over America. Um, top non-Muslim officers. Top non-Muslim officers and Pentagon officials have taken to celebrating religious events with Muslims overseas and here in the U.S. There is a message here that Muslims and the Islamic religion are totally compatible with Western values, says Deputy Defense Secretary Gordon England in an interview. It's it's just it's so asinine and incomprehensible. It's just unbelievable. They're they're I mean they're compatible with Western values. Well, I guess if everybody wants to die, there's another wonderful lady here. She's got a nice little sign. She says, "Be prepared for the real Holocaust." But her heart's in the right place. That's the important part, Lisa. You know, you see what you see how he's got her, her face all covered. She she's a really good Muslim. She's got a face totally covered. All you can see is her eyes. I saw I, I saw a funny email the other day that came out, um, and it showed this group, this family picture of these women at a at a at a uh, like a family reunion, and they're all dressed like this. And and there's this family picture of them all dressed like this, and, and the, under the caption it's like, "What's the point?" <laughs> you can't see any of them. You don't even know who they are. Do you know why she's dressed like this? There's a reason. Because they, they believe in their religion. The, the real good ones believe that if you have, as a woman, if you have one hair on your head showing in public, 
that it is like a dagger in Allah's eye. So let your hair flow, women. Let it flow. Let it be a dagger in Allah's eye. <laughs> yeah, that's why they do that. That's, that really is why they do that. Now, you know, some of them are more... But see, there's different sects of the Muslim religion. There's more hardcore and there's more, you know, lukewarm. But if they were really doing what they're supposed to do, they'd all look like that. Um, Surah 9, Surah 298, Allah is an enemy to unbelievers. On unbelievers is the curse of Allah. You know, so we've got, uh, I mean, this is insane. Surah 3, 157 and, uh, through 158. You should die or be killed in the, if you should die or be killed in the cause of Allah. His mercy and forgiveness will surely be better than all the riches they amass. If you should die or be killed before him, you shall all be gathered. No, you won't. You're going to go to hell and burn forever. Period. This is all a lie. The whole religion is based on how many people can we take to hell. Because Satan's behind this. Satan's just laughing. He thinks this is hilarious. Surah 554. Oh, believers, take not the Jews and Christians as friends. They are friends of each other. Those of you who make them his friends is one of them. God does not guide an unjust people. God? He's not God. He's a devil. Oh, yeah, I mean, he's... He, oh, this is beyond racism. You talk about being racist. That's why I have a really hard time when Tex Mars is defending the, the, the Muslims, because he really does, and a lot of his stuff. He's basically... This is a great example of totally throwing the baby out with the bathwater. I'm not saying the Jews are perfect. Neither is America. Neither am I. The Jews need to get saved the same way we do, but I would be very, very con careful about condemning their whole race because that's pretty much what Tex Mars has been doing as of the last while here. And, I mean, he's actually defending the Palestinians on some counts of, of this. And it's like, that's incomprehensible. But see, that's the problem. Is if you really, really go off the deep end, and you start condemning the Jews, well then, what's the obvious thing you have to do? Well, who else is condemning the Jews? Well, I'm going to get on their side to a certain extent, which would be the Islams. You can't get on their side. That's insane. So... However, in certain of the progress, the military is intensifying its outreach to the Muslims. Oh, well, that's great. Um, Islam will dominate the world. Here's another guy with a thing. Allah will humble the unbelievers. He, he, he's not going to humble me. No, 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 no devil moon god is going to humble me. Period. Allah and his apostles are free from obligations to idol worshippers. Oh, isn't that funny? Isn't that the stinking pot calling the kettle black? They're calling me an idol worshiper? That's all they do. I mean, that's what he is. He's an idol. And yet they're accusing you of the very thing this whole religion is guilty of. Proclaim a woeful punishment to the unbelievers. I get really fired up when I start to read these, these quotes because they're, they're such from the pit of hell. And their very own tongue is going to fall upon themselves is what's going to happen. And there's been millions that are in hell right now that know this to be truth, what I'm saying. They know that the religion they believed in was no more than a cult and a total lie. Muhammad, Muhammad is Allah's apostle. Those who follow him are ruthless to the unbelievers. That's what they're supposed to be. But, they're, but most of them haven't all shown their true colors yet. But they're supposed to be merciful to one another. Through them, Allah seeks to enrage the unbelievers. 
So, you know, the unbelievers are impure, and their abode is hell, Surah 929. Humiliate the non-Muslims to an extent which they will surrender and pay tribute. Here's a nice poster. Behead those who insult Islam. Behead those who insult Islam. He, uh, you know, he needs to, uh, really stop beating around the bush and tell me how he feels, you know? It's, it's, it's sad. He needs to come out of his shell. When you meet the unbelievers, smite their necks, then you have made wide slaughter among them. Tie fast the bonds, then set them free, either by grace or ransom, until war lays down its burdens. Surah 47.4 When you meet the unbelievers in the battlefield, strike off their heads. And when you have laid them low, bind your captives firmly. Nice. But we want to we make a league with these people. So, anyway. Um, the unbelievers among the people of the book and the pagans shall burn forever in hellfire. They are the vilest of all creatures. That's what that, their, their puke, unholy, ungodly devil book says about us. See, I want, I want people to know this. I want, I want, even if an American is even a Christian, I want them to still know this. Because they need to know it. It's what their Bible says. Um, this is a quote. Uh, Colonel John Cook, senior chaplain at West Point, says after the media reports about the Academy's new Muslim prayer room, he got a call from a self-described concerned citizen who fretted that the Muslims are taking over the world. I told him, quote, I'm a Christian chaplain. But I have the responsibility to provide for all other faith groups. How does that work? Show me that in the Bible. If you're a Christian chaplain, that you're supposed to provide for all other faith groups? Right, right there alone. I mean, the, the guy's totally apostate. <laughs> it's, it's not a direct recruiting program, says Sergeant Vandani, but it's a goal to educate recruiters to avoid cultural no-no's and foster good relations with Arab American communities, cultural no-nos, while they would while they would assume, if the truth be known, strap a bomb on and kill all of us. But we want to worry about cultural no-nos. Yeah. Anyway, that's... Uh, I, I hope... I, I sent that to Free Market News Network, too. I, I, and I think they might have run something on that story, because you can't argue that I'm being biased. I'm just giving you facts. I'm giving you their Quran quotes and their pictures. They're not, but you know, it's all suppressed by the press. Um, I also finally, finally, finally put together the email I've been wanting to write on vegetarianism and the Hallelujah diet. But I'm not going to go over that right now. <laughs> what, you want to go over that? Well... Now it's it's um I've I've had so many many uh, um, people ask me about vegetarianism and, and that whole Hallelujah diet and everybody thinks it's biblical and it's so stinking unbiblical. I mean, if you just look at the Bible, it really is. Do you want me to go over this now? Do you want me to? Because I could go over it. Uh, you have to ask Nonetta. Um, 
I got I I have a I have a patient that just started with me and you know, she's kind of your average you know, Christian I guess, what you call it. Nice lady, but she's a vegetarian. And, you know, she called and she says, Well, I didn't know all these products had all these these animal products in them and stuff like that. And um um you know what I'm gonna do? Well, so with this with this particular subject, vegetarianism and the Hallelujah diet, I've I've had it up to here. With Christians coming to me and saying, "Oh, this is biblical. This is the way God intended it to be," and they quote some verses totally out of context in Genesis or whatever, if they do that at all. Typically, they don't even do that. And I finally last night, I'm like, I got to get this done. I've got to put something together on this. Um, this is the email I put out. I have received many questions about the biblical validity of vegetarianism and how will you die. Now, let me just state categorically right up front. My most sickest patients I've ever had are vegetarians, strict vegetarians. It's very, very hard to be a strict vegetarian and be healthy. It's just very, very hard. Um, there's a number of factors why that is, and I'm not going to get into all that. I don't want to take up the whole time with this particular topic. But suffice it to say, yes, it's very hard to do this. And what I, what I told him, I says, please look at the subject in light of what the Bible says. As Psalm 119, 105 says, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. So see, we have to have the Bible as our guiding light for these. For, for how we establish doctrine and what we do and, and things of this nature. Um, when comparing these teachings with scripture, as you will clearly see, they do not hold water. This teaching is heavily referenced and has numerous links at the end to confirm these truths. Also, please bear in mind as you read this information. Now, I didn't agree with everything this man said, this, this pastor, because he got into... Here's why. Because of this. Please bear in mind as you read this information that the modern-day foods that are widely available are a far cry from the unprocessed, unadulterated, pesticide-free, hormone-free, antibiotic-free meats and foods of times past. So bear that in mind, because he got, he has stuff in here about Kentucky Fried Chicken and McDonald's and, you know, being tongue-in-cheek, but the thing is, is that those are poisons, as far as I'm concerned. The more I research the fast food industry, it's poison. So, let's not go off totally on the deep end there, either. This is the problem. There's no balance in ministries. They just, they, they make one blanket statement, and they go down that road, and they, and they commit themselves so heavily that they start to incorporate things that are unbiblical on that side. So see, that's why God says, I love a just scale and balance. Why does he keep saying that over and over again in Proverbs? Do you know, do you know how many verses there are on, on how he hates and abhors unjust scales and balances in Proverbs alone? I mean, it's like time after time after time. Okay, God, I'm, I'm getting the hint, I, I guess, but he's saying it for a reason. He's got to be really driving this point home. I believe... God is a God of balance. Now, that doesn't mean you have your sin here and you have your, you, your good works here and they're going to balance out. That's not what I mean. I mean, let's be reasonable about these subjects and let's compare it with Scripture because Scripture will lay down the parameters that you need to stay within. Okay? So, um, it says, I've also included four attachments that greatly expand on the subject from a biblical standpoint. Man, I, these four attachments are huge. Um, as far as going into these subjects further. Um, 1 Timothy 4, 5, 1 through 5. Now, this is one 
as a, as I, I put this right up front because the thing is is that right this verse right here alone. What do you do with this as, as, as a Christian vegetarian? What do you do with this verse? It says, now this, 1 Timothy, uh, and I've quoted this verse many times, 1 Timothy 4, 1 through 5. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times, well, that's where we're at, some shall depart from the faith. Okay, so in the latter times it says some are going to depart from the faith. So what's the earmark of that? What, what do we look for then? Okay, it says some are going to depart from the faith. Okay, so what comes next? Well, here it tells you. Giving heed to seducing spirits. And doctrines of devils. Okay, that's how they're going to do it. That's how they're going to depart from the faith. They're giving heed to seducing spirits, doctrines of devils, this, these, these devils and spirits. Then, then what happens when they give, when, when that, when that happens? Well, speaking lies and hypocrisy. So see, when you give heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, first you give heed, then there's a manifestation in you that happens. What is that? Then I speak lies and hypocrisies. And then um, I have my conscience seared with a hot iron. So see, first it tells you, okay, you're going to be influenced by seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. And then the byproduct of that is that that person is going to speak lies and hypocrisy. They're going to have their conscience seared with a hot iron. Things that should be bothering them don't bother them. Why? Because their conscience is seared. For, okay, then what's the next thing it mentions? Forbidding to marry. Wow, that kind of sounds like the Catholic priesthood. Just saw this, this thing today on, on the news where it said they're going to have um, something for uh, some kind of uh, big-time multi-million dollar program to compensate all of the uh, victims, all the sodomite, all the little kid sodomite victims of all the wonderful Catholic priests. In some area or whatever. Isn't that great? Yeah. What a great religion. I, I can't even believe, I mean, just from that standpoint, like, why wouldn't people rise up and, 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 and put that, that stinking apostate religion down? I mean, it, it is so vile and evil. I mean, even the, even the Islamic people, I don't think, get into that stuff. In fact, the one thing I will say about them is that they are greatly offended by the way that um, the average American typically will, will live their life with all of the things that, you know, typically we do in America. It's, it's, I mean, they have better, in some ways, they have much better moral standards than we do. They really do. Um, so having no conscience, see with the iron. Okay. So, well, let's get specific. What do you mean? Speaking lies and hypocrisy and having their conscience seared with the higher. Give me some specifics here. Well, right here, forbidding to marry. That's one thing. That's one specific thing. So you see how this, this verse is a progression of things. It's telling you, it's step by step by step. This, this verse, that's what I like about 1 Timothy 4, 1 through 5. It's the way it's set up. Forbidding to marry. And then what's the next thing? And commanding to abstain from meats. Well, maybe that just means certain types of foods. Well, let's see if that's what it really means, or if it really means meat. It says, commanding to abstain from meats. Well, that's... Do you understand that this is right in the same category as departing from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having your conscience seared with a hot iron? It's right in the same category as that. It's the same verse. It's pretty serious. Commanding to abstain from meats which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving of them, which believe and know the truth. Remember how I keep saying the truth? Which believe and know the truth. Well, you, it's one thing to know the truth, it's another thing to believe it. 
I mean, and you should know the truth, and, and the, the truth shall make you free. Okay, what's the, what does it say next? It says, For every creature of God is good, and nothing to be refused, if it be received with thanksgiving. Every creature? Well, that cannot be in reference to a vegetable, or a apple, or something like that. Can't be... It's, it's specifically in reference to meats. For it is sanctified by the word of God in prayer. Now again, I think we need there's a, there's we need to temper this a little bit. I mean, the, the Bible does say that is a, that is a perpetual covenant in the in the Old Testament, not to eat fat or blood. And the blood part particularly is reiterated two or three times in the New Testament. Okay, I don't see I don't know if I see anything mentioned about fat in the New Testament, but blood definitely. You do not want to be eating blood and drinking blood. That type of deal. Um, I still don't think it's a good idea to go out and consistently bottom feeder animals like, um, you know, shrimp and, 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 and crabs and things of these natures and, and clams and, and then pigs who, you know, these types of things. Now, granted, does that mean that, that, that they cannot be sanctified through the word of God? No, it, they, they can be. But again, let's have a balance here, okay? If you go out, yes, I have liberty to go out and eat ho-hos 24-7. How long am I going to live, though, if I eat ho-hos 24-7 for, for year after year after year? You're going to die, you know, it's, or, or you're going to live a real miserable life. So, let's, let's come, let us reason together is all I'm trying to say. Again, let's have balance here. There's no, these ministries don't have any balance. Now, the, the ministry that we're going to be talking about in a second that put this out, you know, I, I think they're way off where they shouldn't be um, in, in some regards. And, and I'm going to explain why. Um, and then I gave some other Bible verses, Proverbs 18, 13. He didn't answer the matter before here that is a folly and a shame. Um, so we go into this, this, this thing. This is guy by a guy named Jonathan Crosby. I believe he is the, he doesn't call himself a pastor because he believes all titles are evil. Well, I, I, he's, he said reverend in particular. But he calls himself Brother Jonathan Crosby. Which is fine, I'm cool with that. But I mean, the Bible does talk about woe unto the pastors and these types of things, and a bishop, I don't think those titles are evil, how are you getting that? Again, but they're King James only, um, fundamental Baptists, what they claim they are. Okay, so, Reverend George Malcolmus is a false teacher promoting an extreme vegetarianism that is altogether contrary to the Bible. That's how he starts it out. Reverend George Malcolmus is the guy that started Hallelujah Acres, the Hallelujah Diet, the whole this whole big movement now in Christianity that, 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 that they say is absolutely biblical. Now, it's not biblical, as we're going to see. It's not even remotely biblical. But why, why can't Christians see this? Because they're not in their Bible. They're not in their Bible. They, they, don't even, they don't even search these things out. They're not like the Bereans, which were more noble than those in Thessalonica. Why were they more noble? Because they sought these things out to see if they were true. That's what it says in Acts. Well, they're not. George Malcolmus is a self-proclaimed reverend turned wild vegetarian ideas into a mass marketing business to prey on gullible Christians. He sells juicers, distillers, supplements, books, and gimmicks to fleece the simple. Here's his official website. He's got a link to his official website. So one thing I liked about this guy is that he gave you links to all... He, hey, check it out, man. See if I'm lying to you. This document exposes his heresy for Christians by the infallible word of God. If you think this is too harsh, read Psalm 119, 128, and Isaiah 8, 20. Let's just read those real quick. 
He's got tons of scriptural references. I mean, I, I, there's so many scriptural references in here. If I were to, if we were to go to every one, this would be a probably a ten week study. So I, I'm, I'm, I don't want to get quite. There's, there's so many other things I want to get into. <laughs> Psalm one, Psalm one nineteen, uh, one twenty eight. Therefore, I esteem all thy precepts concerning all things to be right, and I hate every false way. Well, that's good. We should hate every false way, but we don't. As as the average Christian does not hate every false way, but we're supposed to. This was, you know. So, the first point. If Genesis 1.29 teaches a vegetarian diet, it only applied to ten generations. Jehovah quickly added every kind of animal flesh after the flood. Let's go to Genesis 9. Genesis 9, verse 1. Oh, no, hold on. Genesis... Yeah, okay. Genesis 9, verse 1. And God blessed Noah and his sons and said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. Now, this is after the flood. Okay, he said replenish the earth. And, and the fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth. Now, this wasn't the case beforehand because they weren't eating meat. But now the fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth, and upon every fowl of the air, upon all that moveth upon the earth, and upon all fishes of the sea. And your into your hands they are delivered. Well, this is something God ordained, not me. I'm not making this up. Every moving thing that liveth shall be meat for you. Every moving thing. Well, that is that an apple or a cucumber? Well, they don't move. Not the last ones I've seen. Every moving thing that liveth shall be meat for you, even as every green herb I have given unto you. So it was okay. Now you can eat plants and animals the whole nine yards. Now there were physiological reasons I believe we needed meat after the flood because we were in a totally different environment. If you doubt that, um, Ken Hoven has a whole video on the Garden of Eden and creation. I highly, in fact, in the in the email that I put out. I give a link. You can go watch the video online. All his videos are up online. Oh, he's in jail, though. He's in jail. In fact, there's a big article in that thing I gave you today on it. Anyway. Um, so, but the flesh with the life thereof, which is the blood thereof, you shall not eat. And surely your blood of your lives will I require at the hand of every beast will I require it. And every man... and. At the hand of every man's brother will I require the life, life of a man. Okay, now we're getting into another doctrine here. So, But anyway, we're, we're commanded there not to eat blood as well. So, see, when we go and, and we believe this reverend, which is totally unbiblical term, only God is reverend. Reverence should be given to the Lord. I hate that title. Oh, I hate that title. Um, at this point, this is basically where we're at now. We're, we're pre-flood. We're not in the Garden of Eden anymore. We're, 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 not, we're not prior to the flood. 
This is a different thing we're under. So for them to go back and just totally ignore gigantic scriptures of Bible, this being the first and the main one, is, is insane. I mean, why not? I mean, this is, you know what he's done? He started his own religion. Hallelujah diet, he has started his own religious, re religion. That's all he's done. Well, how could you say that? Because he's taken, uh, he's taken some verses out of scripture, applied them, twisted them, and, and applied them to a time in which we're not, a dispensation to which we're not even in anymore. We're not in that same dispensation anymore. That would be referred to as the antediluvian period, which is prior to the flood if you want to get real technical. Jehovah quickly added every kind of animal flesh after the flood. And God called this a blessing on Noah and his sons. Because, I mean, God doesn't say this in, like it's a curse. This, this verses 1 through 3, he doesn't say it. He's talking about them being fruitful and multiplying and replenishing the earth and into your hands these, these, these moving creatures are going to be delivered. And, and, and basically, this sounds like more of a blessing to me than anything else. Um, but Reverend George, partial in the word of God, like all heretics, this guy's really harsh. I mean, the way he writes this, he's, he's harsh. He ignores this change in diet that God directed, and God's people have followed for the last 450... Now, see, you could literally... We could stop right here. We could stop right here and walk away from the subject, and, and I've still got my, the Bible on my side. I still do. Just with this one per piece of Scripture alone, I've got it. it. But they ignore it all. The first rule of Bible study is to never take a single text to teach something different from the rest of the Bible. Um... Well, where do we get that doctrine? Second Peter one twenty. I like this guy because he's got a lot of scriptural references. Backs up everything he says. Second Peter one twenty. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Um, George needs to repent of his dishonesty and spend more time with the Bible instead of his juicer. <laughs> the Hallelujah died as heresy, and Reverend George Malcolm is a false teacher. Uh, and here, here's another thing. Show me in the Bible the juice plant. Hmm. The juice plant. I don't see one reference in the Bible other than where they press the grape in the juice. I don't see one other plant that they do that on. Now, juicers, I'm not saying they're totally, totally evil, but here's the problem with juicers. You could take literally 20 pounds of carrots... Put it into a glass about this tall and drink it. Now, you're getting the, the, the carbohydrates from 20 carats, which is it has an incredibly high glycemic index. A higher glycemic index than table sugar. Table sugar! What is the glycemic index? That's how much a carbohydrate will actually affect your blood sugar. It is, it is, it is how your pancreas reacts to that carbohydrate when it sees it and it says, Wow! This is a really high, this is, has a really high glycemic index. I've got to pump out a ton of insulin to get all these carbohydrates out of my bloodstream and out of circulation so you don't go, uh, so the blood sugar doesn't get too high. 
foods with a low glycemic index, the pancreas looks at it and says, wow, I don't have to secrete as much insulin. I don't have to go quite as crazy in order to keep my blood sugar stable. Carrot juice has a higher glycemic index than table sugar. So it's, it can be very dangerous, for di especially somebody that has blood sugar problems anyway. For a diabetic, it's like suicide. But these, a lot of people drink carrot juice by the glass. And it's unnatural because you would never sit down and eat 20 pounds of carrots. It's not going to happen. I mean, if you did, you'd have buccinator muscles in your, in your, in your cheeks like, you know, ugh, like a, on steroids, man. You'd look like Bugs Bunny. We're not designed for that. So, I mean, there is no juice plant nature. There, there's no Adam and Eve didn't run up to the juice plant. They had a little dispenser on the tree and, and poured them a frothy glass of juice. Didn't happen, okay? So from that standpoint, bear that in mind. I'm not against, you know, doing a juice fast for a time or doing it, but or, or doing, let's say, two ounces of carrot or two ounces of beet once a day. I'm not, that's one thing. But man, these people go way overboard with this. Again, there's no balance. There's no balance. So let's, you know, and the, the rule of thumb on this is that don't juice any more than, than you would actually sit down and eat. Well, if you did if you did it that way, you wouldn't be drinking a whole lot of juice. And another thing you do is when you separate the fiber that God put there in the plant, which is what a juicer does, that fiber, if you were to sit down and eat 20 pounds of carrots, which would probably about kill you, your blood sugar wouldn't be affected very much. You know why? All the fiber in the plant what it does is, is it prevents that blood sugar from going through the roof. It buffers that reaction. It, it's a buffer. God put it there for a reason. It also helps us maintain regularity. So, there's reasons for everything, and God's ways are always the right ways. Reverend George often appeals to the average life expectancy of 912 years. Oh, can you hear this one coming? Well, they lived to be 912 years in the Old Testament, in, in pre-flood, Lisa, why? Well, Reverend George would tell you because they only ate vegan. And, well, that's... No, actually, it's even more than that. It's because of the pre-flood environment that really existed. And that's what this, this whole video on Ken Hovind gets into. See, pre-flood environment... Let me touch on this because I have to. Pre-flood environment. What was different about it? Well, people were a whole lot bigger, if you noticed. You know... Noah's sons, I mean, if you ever did the math, these guys were gigantic, man. 10, 11 feet tall was average. Okay? They lived to be 900 some years old. Why did that all change after the flood? What was the big deal? Was God just blessing them really intensely? Well, how could that be? Because it was so wicked prior to the flood that God had to destroy the whole world. Something different. What was it? Well, when... The Bible talks about when the flood happened that the firmament broke up and, and that the wells, the, the wells came, the water came up from the ground and the firmament broke up. The firmament, from biblically, from what we could gather, and Ken Hovind does a whole lot better job of explaining this than me, was a thin layer of ice suspended up in the air all the way around the world. The firmament, basically, what it did is, is it filtered out all the sunlight Okay, so in other words, all the ultraviolet radiation that we're being bombarded with now, most of that, the bad ultraviolet radiation that was producing a lot of free radicals, which is one of the reasons we age, 
That was all that was all being filtered out. So number one, you had that. What was the second thing? Number two, the ferment would be like being in a big um, air bubble that was pressurized. Now, why does that matter? Because when you increase atmospheric pressure, and they determined that it was at least double what it is now. So you double our atmospheric pressure. Well, how do they know that? Because they've done actual samples of amber. Now, amber is one of the, the old things that they... That they um, it's a particular type of glass that naturally occurs in nature, that when they've found air bubbles in amber, and they could go in there and drill into that amber, and, and as soon as they drill in there, they have little devices that can sense what was the oxygen content of the, of the planet pre-flood, and what was the atmospheric pressure. Because the atmospheric pressure will still be the same if it was encased in that amber during that time. What have they determined by those amber samples? That the oxygen content was probably about triple or quadruple what it is now, and the, and the atmospheric pressure was double. Why does that matter? Because when you double atmospheric pressure, you're going to force much more oxygen into your body. Now, the oxygen content was probably four times what it is now anyway. Okay. So you've got all these things. Now, when you, when you create that environment, that's the, that's, we can do that in nature now. It's called a hyperbaric chamber. Hyperbaric chambers are wonderful. If you get in a dive accident and you go in there, they put you in a hyperbaric chamber. Many times, instead of being a vegetable and being in a coma, you come out of there okay. Because what it does is it floods your body with oxygen. You can actually absorb oxygen through the pores of your skin um, if you, um, through these types of things. If you, if you had a spinal cord injury and you got into a hyperbaric chamber right away, you could actually heal from the spinal cord injury. Now, if you let it go a long time, you'll lose that ability. Um, they have actually um, done all these experiments where they put people in hyperbaric chambers and, and they've actually had, um, they, they, they put animals in there from birth and they grow huge, huge. They've done experiments where they put plants in these things, gigantically huge. When you, when you, when you, uh, triple or quadruple the oxygen content, and a lot of times what they're doing is they're putting almost 100% oxygen in these things, and you double the atmospheric pressure or triple it, forget about it. You, you, the things grow so much bigger and healthier. That was the pre-flood environment. And, and it wasn't an environment that was conducive to us aging, really, because all the radiation was being filtered out. One of the main things that causes us to age. Oxygen content was, was triple or quadruple. Atmospheric pressure was at least double. So you've got this ideal environment that was in the Garden of Eden originally. I mean, it wasn't just the Garden of Eden. It was the whole world. You couldn't just have the Garden of Eden being this one. The Garden of Eden at that time was connected to the whole world. Now, granted, I'm not saying the whole world is the Garden of Eden, but the atmosphere was connected. The air that they were breathing is all connected. So that was the biggest reason people lived to be 912 years old. That was, okay? That all changed after the flood, coincidentally. Well, how do you say that? Well, the ferment broke up. That, that pressurized bubble, that's when the atmospheric pressure went down to half. That's when the oxygen content went down. There was a lot less plant life after the flood, too. All the plants had probably been killed. They were underwater for all those times. So the, the plants that produced all this oxygen, they increased the oxygen content so much, they were all killed. And they weren't in an environment now the way they could grow this big and gigantic. Another thing, they've done studies on dinosaurs, like these gigantic brontosauruses and all these things. 
mastodons, and they look at their nostrils, and they're like, there's no possible way these animals could live today, because there's no way their little nostrils could pull in enough oxygen in today's environment to live. But back then, when the oxygen content was four times what it is, and the atmospheric pressure was double, it would just it would seep into the body a lot quicker. They didn't have to have near as big nostrils or as lungs to get the same amount of oxygen to live. Those same animals could not live today. That's a big reason they went, well, that's a big reason they went extinct. Now, granted, I think if there was an animal, it got on the ark. But how long it lived after the ark in a pre-flood environment, I don't know. That I don't know. So, see, these are the things that Ken Hovind goes into a lot better than me, but just some points to think about. Okay, so... This Reverend George constantly appeals to the average life expectancy of 912 years for those that may not have eaten bef meat before the flood. Oh, come on. Give me a break. I mean, this is how easily duped people are. Yeah. Well, let me address it. My, my little girl was just asking me why God would let all the animals be destroyed as well as all the wicked people. Well, it's the same reason that when, um, when God told the Israelites to go into the promised land. You remember when they went to um, to Jericho? And and you know what God's commandment was? He said, kill every man, woman, child, beast, everything. And don't even take one thing out of the city. Everything's corrupted. Because, yeah, and the one guy that did take, and all he did was, it was something material, but it was, everything was so cursed, and so leavened with sin, that you couldn't take one thing out of that city without corrupting yourself. So see, Taylor, it gets so bad in some of these places that, that it, everything gets so cursed and leavened with sin, including the animals, that they have to all be killed. I believe the earth had gotten so bad that even the animals had been corrupted. The Bible, it, in fact, when, when the, uh, it talks about this in the book of Enoch, that we had talked about, when these, when these, um, ooh, when the, when the sons of God saw the daughters of men that they were fair, and, and, the, and the fallen angels came down and took them wives, all that they chose, and they, claimed, they, they created this Nephilim giant race of giants, the men of old and men of renown, one of the things that they did is it says that they corrupted the birds and the fish and the animals. Maybe that's why God had to... Be, maybe they had corrupted all of, all of the animals. Well, I don't think all the animals in the sea died because it was just water. No, they didn't. If they all died, Taylor, we wouldn't have dolphins now. So they had to have lived. Well, I'm sorry, dear, but they all died in that particular... Other than the animals that were on the ark. You know, the problem is, is it had gotten so bad, God had to take very, very extreme measures. Okay? Well, I, the dolphins were already in the sea, and when the sea rose, it didn't kill the the the, the, the uh, fish life. They didn't take fish on the ark; they didn't need to. Well, yeah, they have a they had a wide berth now. They were, they were able to swim wherever they wanted to. Anyway, sorry. Um, so, um, the, uh, the when he. This guy appeals to the average life expectancy of 912 years for those that may not have eaten meat before the flood. Implying that his followers can approach this age if if they buy his barley pouting and dehydrated carrots. Now I had a comment here. The real reason why the people 
um, well, okay, we already talked about that, why they actually live so long. Third point, Reverend George constantly appeals to an average life expectancy of 912 for those that may have not eaten meat before the flood. But Reverend, I don't, why do I keep saying Reverend? Uh, apostate George Malcolmus, born in 1934, will certainly die in the next few years. It's a good point. Why aren't, hey, Mr. Apostate Boy, why aren't, why aren't you living to be 912? Regardless of his diet, he will not get far past 70. Well, how could he say that? Well, let's go to Psalm 90, verse 10. You want me to keep going with this? Is this interesting? Is this okay with you, Nonetta? I, I got so much I could cover. I mean, my word. I don't even know where to start. I've just gotten deluged with information the last couple weeks. Psalm 90, uh, verse... What did I say? Um, 10. Psalm 90, 10. The days of our years are three score years and ten. Now, three, every time you, you see a score, it's twenty years. So, three scores, sixty years. And ten, you add sixty to ten, it's seventy years. The, day, the days of our years are three score years and ten. If by reason of strength, they be four score, meaning eighty. So, you're gonna, the average life expectancy is going to be somewhere between seventy and eighty. Set it way back in Psalms. Uh, where else did it say? Genesis 6, I believe. Let's go to that right there. That's where we talk about. Um, now here it says, And the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man, for he is also flesh. His day shall be in 120 years. Now I, that's about the maximum you ever see anybody live. Okay, But back then, the average life, people were living to be 900 when he said this. So this was right prior to the flood. In fact, this was the pronouncement of the flood. If you really look at this, um, uh, God saw the wickedness in the earth that it was great in all the earth. See, Taylor, this is why I had to wipe out the whole earth. God saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination, the thoughts of his heart, was only evil continually. And it repented the Lord that he even made man on earth, and it grieved him in his heart. And he said, I will destroy man of whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, and all creeping thing, and the fowls of the air, for it repenteth me that I made them. They had all been corrupted. Yep, they had all been corrupted. Yep, so I'm sorry, but that's the way it happened. Um, well, maybe the hippo treaded water for nine months or however long. No, he didn't tread water for that long. No, I, I'm sorry, Taylor. That's just the, that's that's. Um, I love animals as much as the next person, but I mean, we can't we can't dwell on on that. It happened. So. Um, George Malcolm is born in 1934, will certainly die in the next few years. Regardless of his diet, he will not get far past 70. And we looked at that. He already had a stroke at age of 67. Oh, well now what? George, you're, you're not even, you're not even a tenth way home, buddy. And you're, you're stroking out at 67? You're supposed to be, I mean, the way you're going, aren't you supposed to surpass Methuselah? I mean, come on, George. Get with the program. Thank you, Nonetta. I mean, you're... That's pretty pitiful. See the logic? The logic's so flawed. I mean, what what a leap of logic here to, 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 to actually... And he's using this to make money. The love of money is the root of all evil. He's got his hallelujah acres that you can go to and get cleansed out, Nonetta. 
I booked, I booked you a plane ticket this week. I forgot to tell you. A little, uh... Yeah. You had what? Oh, did you? Really? Yeah. <laughs> it's hard to help them if you don't drink it. And you know, now, now here, here's, here's another point. Now, you're going to hear people that say, I don't care what you say, I've been juicing, and I feel better, and nothing you're going to tell me is going to convince me any one bit or otherwise. Okay, now let's look at this. Let's be reasonable here. I'm not saying if somebody was eating processed meats, and processed this, and, and things laden with antibiotics and hormones and pesticides, and ho-hos and Twinkies and junk food, you know something? You could eat dirt and feel better. You know what I mean? If you changed your diet and ate dirt, you'd still do better than eating that stuff. So, it's still tremendously better than doing the, what I just mentioned. So, see, let, let, let's, let's, again, let's come let us reason together. I mean, yeah, if you got somebody that's it's putting pure crap in their body 24-7, year after year, and you switch to a juicing, you will detox... I'm not saying it's, it's, it's worse than that, but again, there's no balance. There's no balance. We go totally off the deep end. Let's throw all the baby out the bathwater. And see, that's the, that's the thing that um, I try to stay away from. Um, and I didn't always do that. I, I, I've, I took me a long time to get to this point. Um, he has already had a stroke at age 67. He was already put on blood pressure medication. Now, he's got links to, to when he had a stroke at 67, a document that he actually did. He's on blood pressure medication. Why would somebody have a stroke at 67? You know why, I bet? Because if you're getting the massive amount of carbohydrates that he's getting, even if they're juices, even if they're carrot juice or whatever, you're causing such a huge spike in blood sugar, and that pancreas is like, whoa! Hypersecretes insulin, puts you into, and eventually you're going to wind up in a, almost a diabetic state. It, you, it, it so sets you up for diabetes. When you create a very, very high carbohydrate level in the body, which is what you're going to get with this diet, you're going to be very, very, very prone, prone to placking of the arteries. Because um, it's, a, it's a proven fact that one of the greatest things you can do to, to set yourself up for arteriosclerosis which is plaque into the arteries, which is basically what causes strokes, usually, because a plaque breaks off and gets into the brain, is, is blood sugar diabetic problems. That is the major main thing that will set you up for that. That's probably why he had the stroke. Um, and he's on blood pressure medication. Well, that's the other thing that will cause blood pressure to rise, is, is a pre-diabetic uh, state. The illusion... Um, the illusion created by connecting the antediluvian life expectancy to his diet and supplements is pure snake oil salesmanship. You see what he's doing? He's saying, hey guys, listen, we need to, we need to look at God, what God's word says here. And it says here in Genesis that they lived to be 900 some years old. And all they were eating was, was, was they were all vegans, vegetarians. Well, we can, li we can do it now too. Uh-uh, don't believe that lie. There were physiological changes. I already explained the changes that took place after the flood. And what I believe happened at that point is that we needed meat in order to survive, in order to thrive, I should say. Not just survive, but in order to thrive. 
we needed meat. Because I'm telling you right now, if you try to observe a very strict vegetarian diet, there is almost no possible way you can do it and be healthy. Some of the most sickest patients I've ever had are strict vegetarian. They all have bags under their eyes, big circles. That normally is an indicator that their kidneys are not functioning properly at all. And their liver. It's a dead giveaway for that. Whenever you see some of the big bags under their eyes, kidney, liver, particularly kidney. Well, if it's so healthy, why do you look so unhealthy? They all have these pasty white complexions that they're just, ugh. But, you know, they, you can't tell them otherwise because they're, they're convinced. It's not biblical. Um, point five. The Bible reveals in Isaiah 28, 23 through 29, that God taught Adam and his sons how to grow and process grains for bread. Let's just go there real quick. This is another problem I have we're going to get into. And I'm glad he brought this up. I got a lot of bones to pick today, Lisa. Sorry. Yeah, meat bones. Meat bones, ham bones, whatever. <laughs> 20, oh, okay, so, so Isaiah 28-23. Isaiah 28-23. Um, Give ye ear and hear my voice, hearken and hear my speech. Doth the plowman plow all day to sow? Doth he open and break the clods of the ground? When he hath made plain the face thereof, doth he not cast abroad the fitches, and scatter the cumin, and cast the principal wheat, and the appointed barley, and the rye in their place? Now these are all grains. These are all grains we're in reference to here. This isn't even fruits or, or theoretically vegetables. For his God doth instruct him to discretion and doth teach him. Now it says God does this. God's the one that taught him how to do this. Now, a lot of stuff today just totally condemns bread. Oh, bread is evil. It's just flat out, totally... And, and again, we've got a lot of people that are condemning totally bread and condemning the vegetarianism at the same time. So now they've just went off the deep end logically. Oh, I, I deal with this all the time. Bread is this evil thing. Wow, Jesus ate bread. He changed the... He multiplied the loaves and the fishes. Well, what do you say about... Was Jesus doing something evil? This is... This is, this is a good point. So, biblically, made bread is a far cry from what is widely available in grocery stores, though. Okay, so now let's, let's, let's come let us reason together. What you get in the grocery store is typically, in God's eyes, if you just went to the average grocery store and bought some bread, is, is not really bread. It's, 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 it's made with chemicals. It's fortified with synthetic vitamins. It has all of the naturally occurring things in the wheat berry that would normally be in there. They strip it all out. Every bit of it. Why? Why do they strip it out? Because when you, if you had a wheat berry, okay, a wheat berry is how, if you were going to grind and make your own bread, and if it was wheat bread, what you would do is they have special milling machines you can buy, and you can grind the wheat berries up, and then you take it and, and you do what you do with the dough and the leaven and all the stuff, and you make bread. Now, I don't know how to make bread, but I, 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 if, if everything was ideal in my life, I would be making bread myself. Here's why. And that's the way they used to do it back then. They used to make bread. Their life depended on it. Okay, our lives don't depend on it anymore because we can go up to the grocery store. But there's a big difference between making your own bread fresh and even going to a health food store and getting the bread, even if it's Ezekiel 318 bread or whatever, which is what I pretty much eat. 
The difference is, is when you make your own bread and you grind those wheat berries, the wheat berries have a very, very high content of vitamin E and fat-soluble vitamins. Problem is, is vitamin E goes rancid so easily once it's, once it's been liberated from the wheat berry. Okay? In other words, it doesn't have a real long shelf life. But see, that's the way God made foods. God made foods to be perishable. That's just the way he did it. But see, man comes along and he says, well, we're going to can this and we're going to do this and we're going we're to kill everything in it so it doesn't go bad. Well, hey, if you got to survive and do whatever you got to do, that's one thing. But I'm talking about this is the way they used to eat things. So when this was written, they were eating the foods the way God intended them. We're not doing that anymore. What they do is, is in the milling process, they they take all of the um, all of the uh, of the fat soluble vitamins. I forget there's a word for it, um, and they mill it out. They 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 mill out this this real real good vitamin E component out, and they give that to the cows. I think. It's not in the bread. It's not. It's not in anything we're eating at all. So it's no wonder we're not getting um, particular vitamins the way they occur in nature in our foods. It's not in the breads, because if they left it in the bread, the bread wouldn't have very much of a shelf life. It'd go rancid. So see, it's a catch twenty-two. The only way you can really, really, really do it right is if you make your own bread. It's the only way you can do it right. Um, I hate to say that, but that's the truth. But we're going to see. The Bible talks a lot about bread. A lot about bread. Um, God supernaturally instilled in man the wisdom and knowledge to farm and process grains for bread. Baked goods and grain goods. He even identified the health virtue of bread. Where does he do that at? Psalm 104, verse 15. I have this in my, I have this in my Destroyed for Lack of Knowledge presentation. I, I, you know, that, this is why I don't buy into what a lot of people say, because I'll hear a lot of things, but you know something? Jesus said that when I go, he will send the Comforter, and the Comforter will bring all things into remembrance, which I have taught you. It's one of the things the Comforter was going to do. Well, you know how, like, when you're talking to somebody, or, I mean, it happens to me all the time when I'm preaching, you have Bible verses pop in your head? That's the Holy Spirit! And that should be living inside you if you're a Christian. And I these verses pop into my head that are contradictory to what I'm hearing. Well, who am I going to believe, the Bible or, or, or what they're saying to me? Um, it says in verse 15, And wine maketh glad the heart of man, and oil to make his face shine, and bread which strengtheneth man's heart. Well, how could it strengthen man's heart? The, the typical bread you're getting today is one of probably the worst things you could do for your heart because of that. It's just pure carbohydrates. All the fiber's been removed. All the vitamin E's been removed. What is vitamin E essential for? Cardiovascular health. Why does it say here that bread strengthens man's heart? Because that vitamin E component in the wheat berry, particularly, there's two components. There's the regular vitamin E and there's what they call E2. E2 is the heaviest part of the vitamin E complex family that is the first thing that's milled out when they process bread. It is the component that gets oxygen into the soft tissues and is very, very vital for your heart to function. In fact, I have a product called Cataplex E2 that you give to somebody that's having angina or chest pains from a potential heart attack and it will bring them right out of, a, out of that chest pain phase. It's like, it's like natural nitroglycerin, except it's the way God intended it. This is why 
the Bible says, bread strengtheneth man's heart. For that very, very reason. Because real bread should strengthen your heart. The problem is, is what we get in the average health food store is not going to strengthen your heart. Or not the health food store, but the average grocery store. Now, I think that, you know, what I do is I, I eat like that Ezekiel 3.18 bread. And these, and these are these are breads prepared in a biblical way. The problem is, and they are refrigerated. The problem is, is if the E component is in there, that it's still there's a rancidity issue you can't get away from. There's just there's no way you can get away from it. And I'm sure they've compensated for that to a certain extent, but they it's a compromise is what I'm saying. But it's better than than, than eating the the uh, unorganic processed bread, you know, which basically I mean. Wonder Bread rots your bodies in eight different ways. You know, remember those commercials? Rots bodies in 13 different ways. You know, they, they spray back some synthetic... Here's another thing they do. They spray back synthetic um, uh, vitamins, which are not the way God intended it. So what they do is they get the, they get the flour, they mill all the good stuff out, and then they just have like this, this devoid substance that, won't, that rats won't even eat. Insects won't even eat. Uh, the flour. Then they, they bleach it. They bleach it with a... Uh, through the bleaching process, there is a um, chemical that's created through the interaction of a vitamin. The, it, uh, the bleaching process interacts with a vitamin called zeaxanthine. Produces a chemical through the bleaching process called alaxin. Alaxin destroys the islets of Langerhans in the pancreas. What are the islets of Langerhans? They're also called the beta cells. What is that? They are the cells that produce insulin in the pancreas. So if you eat bleached white flour, any bleached white flour, what ends up happening is, and, and, and I'm a hypocrite to a certain extent, because I mean, I could go to Cracker Barrel and get their biscuits, and I, I'm sure that's bleached white flour. Doesn't make it right for me to do it either. But I don't have it in my house. I don't eat it at home. And if you do it once in a while, hey, but to do it every day, day in, day out, this is the problem you run into. The bleached white flour, when you take that into the body, that chemical, that alaxin chemical in there, destroys the islets of Langerhans. And this is why we have all the diabetes in America. One of the reasons. Big, big, gigantic reasons. So if you're diabetic, you better avoid anything bleached white flour like the plague. Because um, you'll get diabetes, it doesn't matter what you're doing. And... I've got a couple patients that I think their pancreases are so far gone, they're hardly responding to the nutrients. Because once I believe you kill these islets of Langerhans, it's just not like you can just snap your finger and all of a sudden there's new ones that appear. You have a whole lifetime of doing this and you destroy them. Bromelated. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, oh, oh, okay. Unbromelated. I know what that means. Okay. What bromine, here's another thing with, with, with bread. We could go on just about bread. Um, back in the 1800s, it was a very common practice for if you were to go to the medical doctor or to a doctor, anybody, they would prescribe you a product called Lugol's iodine. Lugol's iodine um, was kind of a, what they found to be kind of a panacea health elixir. Not really snake oil, because there's physiological reasons why it helps. Iodine is very, very essential for the thyroid to function properly. Okay, now, and remember on my avian food presentation where I said they're trying to kill us? 
the world depopulate. They're trying to make us sick and kill us. Okay, there's too many of us for their liking. How are they doing this? Through many subtle ways. Doesn't it say that Satan is the most? He was the most subtle beast of the field, the serpent. Well, that's how they're doing it. What they do and what they have done is is around the 19 uh, what was it 30s, iodine fell out of favor with the medical profession. I have the whole story in a newsletter. What they started doing at that point is they started not prescribing Lugol's iodine anymore. They, at, up until I believe the 50s or 60s maybe, you could get iodine in your bread. Okay? They put iodine in the bread. And I'm not saying it was the best form, but at least it was something. Okay? What they did, though, after that, is they took the iodine out of the bread and they put in bromine. You said unbromylated? Bromine, like iodine, is a halogen. A halogen is a specific type of element that occurs in nature on the periodic table. Halogen competes, uh, or bromide competes directly with iodine in the body. There are two elements that compete in the body. Bromine is very, very toxic. It is, it is nasty stuff. Bromine is also sisters to chlorine. They're good buddies, hand in hand. What do bromine and chlorine do? Well, they do a lot of horrific things in the body. A lot of horrific things. And I don't even want to go down that rabbit trail. But, but the one thing they have in common is they kick iodine out of the thyroid. When you kick iodine out of the thyroid, you're set up for all kinds of problems. So, we're not getting iodine in our food supply anymore. Now, I know they say they have iodized salt, but that salt's poison. That is poison salt. That's that's when when you get your your now your average sodium chloride, they take they take the, the salt, they superheat it to about fourteen hundred degrees, it melts the sodium and the chloride together, and when you take it in your body, your body can't break that bond apart. It's like it's it's like a drug. So what I get is I get the Himalayan mined salt. It's not sea salt because the seas are all polluted. You see how we're we're so destroyed for lack of knowledge? I could keep going down this rabbit trail forever. But I get the Himalayan mine salt because it's it's salt from the earth, um, and it's, it's it hasn't been tainted, hopefully. So anyway, what my, my point is is stick as closely as you can to the way God put it here, because God didn't mess up the first time He did it, but man's messed everything up. So see, nowadays we can't get iodine in our diet. So this is why there's so many so many women in particular, but but men too that are deficient in iodine. And I have a whole newsletter I put out on this. Um, if anybody's listening to this thing and they want me to send them that newsletter, just email me, Dr. Johnson, D-R-J-O-H-N-S-O-N, at ix.netcom, N-E-T-C-O-M, dot com. Email me and I'll send it to you. Just indicate what newsletter you want. Um, so, that's what unbromylated bread, bread means, because they're not putting the bromine in. Now, whether they're putting the, the iodine in, I don't know. So, we've got chlorine and bromine kicking the iodine out of our thyroid gland, plus we're not getting in our diet anymore. That's one of the ways they're killing us. Okay, so anyway, that's another thing about bread. You know? So, after the flood, God told Noah and his sons that every moving thing that liveth was delivered to be their meat. We already read that. They could eat any bird, fish, or animal. Um... Now, granted, then he then he imposed the Le, the Levitical dietary restrictions afterward, 
much afterward, which was for the Jews, and granted, we're not under that covenant, but I do feel as though there was wisdom in the Levitical dietary guidelines, obviously. I mean, these are, these are animals that, that tend to be scavengers and bottom feeders and things like that. You know, if you are what you eat, and if they're eating bad stuff, and you eat them, well, it's like putting bad gas in your car. We've already went down that road before, though. Um, Known as sons were to eat anything that moves, so we find the great men of faith and fathers of Israel all eating lots of meat. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Judah. And he gives all the scriptural references where they were eating meat in the Bible. We don't need to look all those up. The first meal God ate with man was meat, milk, butter, and bread. Genesis 18, verse 1. And the Lord appeared unto him in the plains of Mamre, and he sat down in the tent door of the heat of that day. And he lift up his eyes, and now this is this is in regard to Abraham, and he lift up his eyes and looked, and lo there and the Lord appeared unto him. This is it appeared unto Abraham that day. And he lift up his eyes and looked, and lo, three men stood by him, and when he saw them he ran to meet them and from his tent door and bowed himself toward the ground. And said, My Lord, if now I have found favor in thy sight, pass not away from thee, from thy servant. Now, Abraham recognized God. Abraham recognized the Lord. He knew. He called him his servant. He was God's servant. Let a little water, I pray you, be fetched, and wash your feet, and rest yourselves here under the tree. I will fetch a morsel of bread, and comfort ye your hearts, after that ye shall pass on. Oh, he'll, he'll fetch a morsel of bread? What, was he going to give God the worst? The first thing he mentioned. After that ye shall pass on, for therefore are ye come to your servant. And they said, so do as thou hast said. Now, another thing I should bring up before I forget it. That's, this is why the Bible says, seek ye the old paths, wherein is wisdom. See, the way they used to make bread, that's the old paths. That's wherein there is wisdom. Um, this is why, ideally, like, if, if I was able to time-wise, if I had a wife, and if I was able to monetarily do it, I would do a lot of these things I'm telling you right now. I would actually be grinding my own bread and, and this type of thing. Because it's, it's biblical. It's the right thing to do. It's the way God intended it to be. Um, I got a whole lot of notes in this verse, too. And Abraham hastened unto the tent, unto Sarah, and said, Make ready quickly three measures of fine meal okay now this was this was the this was probably like ground wheat wheat berries this type of thing some type of ground grain knead it and bake it in cakes on the hearth okay well we're talking about bread here and Abraham ran under the herd and fetched a calf tender and good and he gave it to the young man and he hastened to dress it and he took the butter the milk and the calf which he had been dressed and set it before them and he stood by them under a tree and they did eat I'm just looking at one of my notes here. Okay, so. Now, if God came to your door, I think you'd give whatever the best you had in your house if he was going to sit down and eat with you. I mean, you're not going to get out, you know, the frozen pizza, you know, with your, maybe some corn dog. It's not going to happen. You know what I mean? I mean, if you, if you reference God, it's not. He took the best he had. 
what was the best that he had? The first thing they did is they made bread. And then they talk about butter and milk and a calf. Wow. Well, what does the vegetarian do with this verse? You know? Oh, I know. Yeah, eat margarine, margarine, which is not even a... Margarine's a, a, one molecule away from being a hard plastic. That's why if you read the label, it says partially hydrogenated. That means they have artificially added hydrogen into that fat, particularly if it's something like cottonseed oil or whatever. They've modified it. They've superheated it. It's not a natural substance anymore. If they fully hydrogenated it, we couldn't eat it. You know why? Because it would be a hard plastic. But, but when they partially hydrogenate it, it has that nice spreadable feeling, no matter what temperature. That's why people like it a lot more. But what it does is it plaques up your arteries, gums up your liver, sets you up for all kind of nasty stuff. It's terrible for you. And then that's a whole other subject with trans fatty acids. Cancer causing, like you want to believe as well. Um, let's see if there's anything more I need to go into with this. Uh... No, that was, that was about it. I mean, that, that's what he did. That was the meal he set before God. That's pretty, you know, that's pretty, pretty heavy duty, if you ask me. Um, <laughs> and, and that's the crazy thing about it is, is they've actually done a lot of studies and found that people that have the highest cholesterol live the longest worldwide. Did you know that? Have the highest cholesterol. They live the longest. Studies, all kinds of studies proving it. Well, I've been lied to. Yes, you have been very lied to. In fact, I did a whole interview on this with Free Market News Network um, a while back. It, 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 why? Because statin drugs are the number one moneymaker of all drugs there are. Number one. What do you mean statin drugs? I mean cholesterol-lowering drugs. Lipitor, Zocar, all these drugs. Well, well why? Well, why would they do this? Well, because they're trying to make money. They're trying to enslave you. They're trying to bring you into bondage. That's what that's what drugs do, if you think about it. They bring you into bondage. Because they're pharmaceuticals, and this is where we derive the word sorcery. And sorcery, if you get into that, is bondage. I'm not saying if you take an aspirin for a headache, you're out of God's will, okay? But if you habitually do it, you're going to have horrific things go on in your body eventually. Even aspirin. Aspirin killed 20,000 people a year. Did you know that? 20,000? NSAIDs, which are the non-sterile and anti-inflammatories like uh, Tylenol and these types of things, do you know they're the number one cause of liver transplants in, wo in the world? Liver transplants, because they wreck your liver. What? Okay, so then if we go to Genesis 14, now this is after... Uh, Abraham had to go and get Lot out of some trouble. He was always getting in trouble. And um, they had to go into this war, this little war, and um, uh, go and get Lot out of harm's way here. And then on the way back, um, what ended up happening is, in the king of Sodom, this is verse 17, chapter 14, verse 17, and the king of Sodom went out and meet him after his return from the slaughter of Chidolamar and of the kings that were with him in the valley of Shavi, which is the king's dale, whatever that means, in Melchizedek, king of Salem. Now, this is the, this is basically most likely Jesus Christ in the flesh. 
or a type of Jesus Christ at, at mi bare minimum here. Okay? Because we could do a whole study on Melchizedek alone, and I, I don't really have the time to get into that today. But, um, uh, and Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought forth bread and wine. He brought forth bread and wine. And he was the priest of the Most High God. Now, hold on. That's Jesus, basically, pre-incarnate. Well, and he blessed him, and he said, Blessed be Abraham, the Most High God, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be the Most High God, which hath delivered thine enemies into all thine hand. And he gave him tithes of all. Okay? And the king of Sodom said unto Abraham, Give me the persons. And So, anyway, this is one thing where they refer... Now, I'm talking... What I'm going to be doing is we're going to be looking at specific foods that are mentioned. I'm not making this stuff up. It's already in the Bible. Um, ten. Isaac, near death, wanting to have his favorite meal, called for savory meat. That was Genesis 27, 1 through 33. Can you imagine him asking for a carrot or celery juice to chase down a salad? <laughs> Made with cauliflower and bro broccoli. He loved venison, sheep, and goat meat. He knew that what food was best. He knew that skillful cooking could make it very savory. And his wife, Rebecca, also prepared bread and wine to go with the delicious meat. Uh, Genesis twenty-seven seventeen, Genesis twenty-seven seventeen, Genesis twenty-seven seventeen, and she gave savory meat and bread, and she prepared into the hand under her son Jacob, and then Genesis twenty-five, and he said, "Bring it near me; I will eat my son's venison. My soul may bless thee." And he brought it near him, and he did eat, and he brought him wine, and he drank. Okay, now, I'm sorry, but I, I went to the whole thing with the Independent Fundamental Baptists, and they, over time and time again, they said every time that wine is ever mentioned in the Bible, it's always grape juice. Well, you know, I went to know Webster, and I got the definition of wine, and this is from 1828. It's wine. It is wine. So, we have to reconcile this. We really do, because, see... You could say, oh, now you're really getting off the left field. Now he's really gone here. I'm not telling anybody to be a drunkard. But I'm telling you, there are more verses. Now, there's verses about wine that say, look not on the wine in the cup, lest it sting me like an adder. Let's have balance. Go ahead. You're talking about this. And I mean, if you start looking at all of the overwhelming scriptures that talk about this. Now, you want to be careful. This isn't something that I'm telling people to go out and be an alcoholic. That's not what we're talking about here. Uh, but we're going to look at some of these verses. Not all of them. I don't want to dwell on this subject. But you know something? If it's in the Bible, I think we should be able to look at it. We should be able to look at this in the Bible and discuss this. Um, because it's not my opinion. It's just what the Bible says. So, let's go to the 11th point. Children of Israel ate flesh and bread in Egypt. This was in Ezekiel 16.3, and they loved them both. So God gave them flesh and bread on their way to Canaan. Ezekiel 16.12-13. Bread and meat have always been two chief components of any nutrition, pleasant fare. Uh, George Malcolmus maintains that cooking destroys all nutritional value. He is all wrong. Most food has always been cooked. Read 2 Kings 4.38. I really like this because it's so loaded with scripture. And we can go there and look for ourselves. It's not anybody's opinion. Let's look at this and let's see what it says. 2 Kings 
Second Kings 4.38. And Elisha came to Gilgal, and there was dearth in the land. And the sons of the prophets were sitting before him. And he said unto the servant, Set upon the great pot, and seethe the pottage for the sons of the prophets. Now, it, we don't, I don't really think we have to belabor this point. It, it, you could look all through the, the, the Old Testament. They cooked food. They cooked it. Okay? Um, God intended food to be cooked. Well, I mean, to a certain extent. I mean, you're not going to cook an apple. You know, these types of things. But, I mean, you know, meats in particular. Um, <coughs> Exodus 12.8. Now, this is a really pretty extensive Bible study because there's so many scriptures you could cite. I'm, I'm really skipping over for, for the sake of time because a lot of it's redundant. A lot of these scriptures are redundant. Not to say they're not important. Because the Bible says out of the mouth of two or three witnesses a thing is established. Well, these are our witnesses. These Bible verses are the only... They, in fact, they're more, they're more important than a human witness. This is more important because this is the Word of God. Exodus 12, 8 and 9. And they shall eat the flesh in the night, roast with fire in unleavened bread. Now, this is, this is the time they, they were supposed to eat unleavened bread. Leaven is a type of sin. There were times that you ate unleavened bread. And this is the Passover. This is the first time they probably ever talk about unleavened bread. Because leaven is a type of sin. And with bitter herbs, they shall eat it. Bitter herbs have a lot of really, really good uh, health attributes for your stomach. In fact, there's in, in um, Sweden, and they've got these things called bitters that you take with a meal, and it helps your stomach. It's good for your stomach. It's called bitters. Eat it not raw. They're saying to want eat. Eat it not raw nor sodden at all with water, but roast with fire, his head and his legs and the puritans thereof. Now this is talking about the Passover lamb, which Jesus Christ is a type of. And another thing, Jesus observed the Passover while he was here on earth. That means he ate lamb. Well, he must not have been a vegan. He, he converted the, the loaves and the fishes. He multiplied them. Well, he must not have been a vegan. So, and then it says that you're supposed to roast it with fire. Now, i gotta, I got to believe that if you roast something with fire, too, it probably goes a long way to getting all the blood out of the meat. Another thing to think about. Because when you roast something with fire, all the juices, you know, come off. If you fry it, it can't really do that. It's still going to be in the pan. Okay. So, let's look at this further. Um... Uh, let's see. God intended food to be cooked. Israel even cooked their manna from heaven. They even cooked their manna by either baking it into cakes or boiling it into porridge. Exodus sixteen twenty two. Exodus sixteen twenty two. And it came to pass that on the sixth day they gathered twice as much bread, two omers and one man, and all the congregation members came told Moses, and he said unto them that this is which. The Lord has said, Tomorrow is the rest of the Holy Sabbath unto the Lord. Bake that which ye bake today. See that which we you will seed, and that which remaineth over lay up for you to be kept in the morning. Okay. Even the cook, they even cooked their manna from heaven. Can George read? Jesus ate boiled fish and his disciples at one time. He boiled them for another time. He boiled, and he boiled them for another time. Luke 24, 42. Now, we, I'm sure we've, we've seen these verses. It's just a matter of... This is a matter of reiterating this. I mean... Because I think we, I think if we're going to delve into this subject, we need to make sure we're, we're doing it the right way. We really need to back it up with Scripture. Exodus 
2442. 2442 reads, And they gave him a piece of broiled fish and a honeycomb. Broiled fish. They gave it to Jesus. Okay? And he took it and he did eat before them. It didn't say he took it and he says, Well, I can't eat the fish. I'm a vegan. <laughs> so, um, anyway, and then, um, where's the next one? John 21. John 21, it says 1 through 14. I don't really want to go through that many verses, but. John 21. Let's just see what the pertinent part is here. Uh, okay. And this is when the, this is after Jesus. This is when he appeared to him. After they um, really went out, and Jesus said to them, "Children, have ye any meat?" They answered him, "No." That's verse five. John 21. Set it on the cash of the net on the right side of the ship, and you shall find. Well, what was this? Was this fruits and vegetables in the sea? He said, have you meat? Well, this was fish meat. They were, they were in regard to here. Um, and then they, then as soon as they were come to the land, they saw the fires of coal there, and the fish laid there on and bread. Well, you know, if it's good enough for Jesus Christ, it's good enough for me. Jesus said unto them, bring of the fish which ye have now caught. Now, he already had fish. Jesus already had some fish, but they brought more. And, um, so anyway, there, there's, and then he said, come and dine. Well, if this was an evil thing, why would Jesus Christ prepare it? You know? Okay, let's go further. Um, I mean, there's, there's a lot of things, too. You don't cook your fish, or cook your meat. You're, you're exposing yourself to parasites, all kind of bugs, E. coli, all kind of nasty things. You want to cook it, you know. Why did Jehovah, the infinitely wise God, require the eating of lamb every year to commemorate the Passover? We already talked about that a little bit. We already went to that verse. It's Exodus 12. Did he hate Israel? Was he trying to give them cancer? Or was he teaching us that George is very wrong? Consider carefully the annual requirement of eating the Passover lamb. Vegetarianism was against the law in Israel. And the only nations that have ever endorsed it have always been pagan. Which is true. Pagan, it's, it's I mean, the Nazis, when uh, when they were into what they were doing. And, and look, at the, um, look at the people in India. They're all vegetarians and they're all weaklings. Weak-minded, weakling people. Okay, but here's, the problem is, is here, is we, all of our food... Even if eating meat is right, it's still so tainted with all this junk, growth hormones, antibiotics, and then the plant, and then the, the cows are eating the pesticides on the grains, and then that gets into their body, and then you eat the cow. So, see, that's the problem: is is we've got to have balance, and we've got to look at the big picture. Um, so, vegetarianism is, in, is against the law of Israel, and the only nations that have ever endorsed have been pagan. The worshippers of God can eat meat because they do not worship the creature but the creator. That's why they don't eat meat in India. Because they think that Mr. Moo Cow walking down the road is Aunt, Aunt Nellie from, from, that just died last month. You know? How asinine is that? It's insane. Uh, Paul said, those who forbid eating meat are horribly deceived and teaching doctrines of devils. Well, that's what we just talked about. 
that verse. They are hypocritical liars and have ruined their consciences. Good ministers will preach against these devilish liars and their profane old wives' tables. Why, why, wives' fables. Um, 1 Timothy 4, 6. 1 Timothy 4, 6. I'm just going to touch on that real quick. We're getting a lot of scripture from, from all this, too. 1 Timothy 4. See, we have to be able to reconcile all scripture in this book. Because if we don't reconcile it, then an unbeliever could come up to this and say, yeah, well, what about this verse? Their pet doctrine. That's what Jehovah Witnesses and Mormons are masters at. Or, or, or even some Satanists. They're like, what about this? Because they know the preacher hasn't taught them anything about it. Don't you think you should be able to go to every everything in the Bible and be able to give an answer for it? Um, uh, for put thou brethren in remembrance of these things, thou shalt not Thou shalt be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nursed up in the words of faith. And good doctrine, where is that? Now, hold on. It says that, we just talked about these people that are going to depart from the faith in the latter times. They're going to give heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. They're going to forbid to marry. They're going to command to abstain from meats. And we mean meat. And then it says, If thou put the brethren in remembrance of these things, well, isn't that what we're doing? I'm, I'm putting you in remembrance of these things. I mean, the word of God really is. If. If thou put the brethren in remembrance of things, if you remind the brethren, other Christians, of these things in the first five verses here, thou shalt be a good minister of Jesus Christ. Well, that's a pretty good thing. That is. That means it says thou shalt be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished up in the words of faith, and of a good doctrine, which is really super important, wherein do thou hast attained. What if you don't put people in, in, in remembrance of these things? What if you don't do that? Well, then maybe you're not being a good minister of Jesus Christ. And maybe you're not nourished up in the words of faith and good doctrine. That's how important this, this 1 Timothy 4 is. But refuse profane and old wives' fables and, and exercise thy, thyself unto godliness. So, a lot of these are wives' fables. These types of things. Um, the body's able to handle um, any and all meats and anything but obvious poisons, for they are purged in the digestive tract. Well, okay, to a certain extent, but again, let's look at this in light of the antibiotics and the other things. I mean, there's there's much better ways you could do meat, in other words. I mean, you could do it real poorly, or you could do it real well. You know? See, you, there are certain things in meat that you can't get from fruits and vegetables. You can't do, like, B12, like iron, like all the 22 amino acids that occur in meat. You can't do it. You cannot get it in a vegetarian diet. Folic acid. These are really important things, and these are the very things that when a vegetarian, a vegan comes in, they're deficient in. And their body starts to shut down, especially the amino acids and protein. You've got to have those. And, you, and if you eat a vegetable or a fruit, you're getting what they call incomplete amino acids. You're not getting the full 22 amino acids. What are amino acids? They're the building blocks of protein. Protein, you have to have amino acids in protein for every bodily function, basically, that happens in the body. In some way, shape, or form, things are dependent on that. So, this is another reason why it's so important. Um, God gave Noah all meats to eat. He, Paul endorsed them for Gentile Christians living in this age. How will you die is devilish and it's wrong. 
point 15. God called Cain in a land flowing with milk and honey about 20 times, which is figurative language for delightful and prosperous character. But milk is one of George Malcolmus's five whites. Who's right now? This five whites. Five white things you never, ever eat. Milk, one of them sugar, and I would agree with bleach sugar. Totally agree with that. But, again, let's throw the baby out with the bath water again. Does that mean all cane, cane sugar is evil? Well, if it's processed in a natural way, I don't think it's evil. But it's not typically what you're going to get in a health food store. They bleach it, you know, thanks to old Tim. Um, so anyway, you got um, the five whites. White bread, white, which I would agree with white bread. But not, but there's. Let's not throw the baby out of the bathwater. They throw everything out. Oh, it's all bad. What? What do you do with all these other Bible verses then? What? Um, white flour. I agree with that because it's bleach. But if it's real flour that you make biblically in a mill, it's good for you. So see how you got to be careful because we're going to have to give an account to God. And in, in, in so much of what He's teaching is wrong. Um, milk is one of George Malcolmus's five whites. Who's right, God or Reverend George? Why did he not call it a land flowing with carrot juice and Brussels sprouts? <laughs> because Israel would have gone back to Egypt in their flesh pots. Who would have wanted to go to Canaan and to be restricted to raw veggies for food? No one among God's people. Well, you know, I mean, I think you're going to have to do whatever God tells you to do. But, He's rather tongue-in-cheek with a lot. In fact, I cut out a lot of what he said on these things because he went way overboard on a lot. When he started talking about Kentucky Fried Chicken and McDonald's, I mean, now he's just crossed over to the asinine. Now he discredits himself. Let's not discredit ourselves. Let's, let's look at this, you know. Okay. God blessed Israel with many kinds of meats, which were to be eaten with rejoicing before the Lord. In Deuteronomy 12.7, 15, 17-18, 20-26, All these were places where meat was to be eaten with rejoicing before the Lord. God knew his people would want to eat meat because a diet without meat is very boring and nutritiously inferior. The very worship of God, including eating much sacrificed meat, all which had to be seasoned with salt. Leviticus 2.13. I mean, we could just go on and on about all these points. I mean, I, I like the guy who really does homework. Leviticus 2.13. We're just going to hit maybe a couple of these. Leviticus 2.13 And every oblation of thy meat offering shall thou season with salt. Neither shall thou suffer the salt of the covenant of thy God to be lacking from thy meat offering. Well, salt's pretty important. But the junk we got in the grocery stores is not the kind of salt he's in reference to. All thine offering shall thou offer with salt. Um, so, you know, the, the Bible goes on and on and on about these types of things. I mean, you, you could get into all the the times where it talks about these things. Um, Leviticus 7.15, since we're already kind of there. 7.15, And the flesh of the sacrifice of his peace offerings for thanksgiving shall be eaten the same day that it is offered. So, you, even though it was a sacrifice of peace offerings for thanksgiving, you ate it the same day in this case. He shall not leave any of it until morning. You ate it all. You ate it all. You ate the peace offering. Um, in that case. Now, now, you didn't do that in every case. Sometimes you didn't do that. Sometimes you didn't eat. Sometimes it was given to the priest. Sometimes it was given to the Lord. It depends on the circumstance. 
I'm glad we're not under those times because that would be very hard to keep track of all that stuff. You know? Um, okay, so we've really said enough about that. Uh, and then it says, as George read the Bible, Matthew 21, 16. Let's just see what that says. I don't know what he's in reference to there. Matthew 21, 16. You got a Bible there? Oh, good. Okay. Uh, Matthew 21, 16. And he said unto him, Hearest thou what they say? And Jesus saith, Out of them, yea, have you never read? Out of the mouth of babes and sucklings thou hast perfected praise. Um, what point is he getting at? And then, that was Matthew 21, 16. And then we go to verse 42. Jesus said unto them, Did you never read the scriptures? The stone which the builders rejected, the same has become the head of the corner. This is the Lord's doing, and it's marvelous in his eyes. I don't understand how that relates to this. But anyway. Um, Moses codified the most advanced revelation of diet and health care in history of the world with the Levitical laws of Israel, which recommend large portions of meat and bread. And he gives all the Bible verses where they do this. And the fattest of the flock or the herd was preferred. And that's in Deuteronomy 34, 30. 2.14, 2 Samuel 6.19. Every reader must make a choice. Either God is right or George Malcolmus. The juice, the juicer salesman, what will it be? Let God be true and every man a liar. Romans 3.4. Okay? Point 18. Moses painstakingly detailed the meats in Israel could and could that could and could not kill. Um, this was done in Leviticus 11 and Deuteronomy 14. If there was ever a perfect opportunity in a time to suggest veggies, this was it. Why didn't God save Israel the trouble of raising, killing, and cooking animals by recommending juicing and salads? Is a New Age fantasy contrary to the word of God to think that raw fruits and vegetables are God's only ideal foods for human consumption? You can eat 100 pounds of salad and just one pound of steak. The steak tastes a whole lot better than the broccoli and the lettuce. Well, okay, but let's, let's, let's have it to a certain extent here. I don't want to get too crazy. You know, I mean, you know... <laughs> well, for, yeah, for some people. Because, see, he's, he's, um, he's grouping everybody into his taste bud pattern, which isn't really fair either, because some people like Nonetta might not like a whole lot of meat type of thing. Okay, now I'm really going to start. But, but see, here's the problem, though, too, is, 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 is he's, again, it's just, it's, you've got to, you've got to so, in today's day and age, you've just got to so discern. Because, see, you can have a subject where you have a lot of truth and still have a lot of evil mingled in there by not, but by not separating a lot of things. Okay, so the next point is, he says, George Malcolmus calls wine a dangerous poison. Now, and I'm just I'm reading you what he's wrote here. Let's just look at the Bible verses. But God created wine to make glad the heart of man. Psalm 104:15. Psalm 104:15. Let's see. Psalm 104:15. Uh, well, we just read that. And wine maketh glad the heart of man, and oil to make the face to shine, and bread which strengtheneth man's heart. Okay, so now. This is something that Baptists in particular, oh, you can't even broach this subject, because they're going to go out of their way to prove to you that all wine that's referenced in the Bible is not wine, it's grape juice. And I'm sorry, I don't, I don't see it in here. Um, 
I've I've tried to be objective about this. I've tried to look at definitions. I've tried to, and it's not. <laughs> this is this is in reference to wine here. Um, let's go to uh, Proverbs thirty one six. Proverbs thirty one six. Proverbs thirty one six. Give strong drink unto those that are ready to perish, and wine unto those that be of heavy hearts. Now, some people will reference this and say this is the only time you can ever do this. Okay, and then it says, "Let him drink and forget his poverty, and remember his misery no more." Okay, now, granted, let's let's have balance with the subject. I'm not going to get off on the deep end on any particular way. I'm just telling you, here's what the Bible says. You you draw your own conclusions. Then it says he recommended it for his people in both testaments. Deuteronomy 14.26 Deuteronomy 14.26 Now, to be honest with you, I cut most of the things out that he said about wine. I, I didn't, because he said so much about it that I didn't really want to belabor the point any more than we had to. Um, Deuteronomy Oh, hold on. Yeah, Deuteronomy 14.26 It says... And thou shalt bestow that money for whatsoever thy soul lusteth after. Now, this is a really paradoxical verse of scripture here. Um, let's go up to verse 22. It says, Thou shalt truly tithe all the increase of thy seed, that the field bringeth forth year by year. Now, this is a, this is a, this could be a biblical, um, oh, type of some, of, of, of pattern we could follow. I mean, the Bible says, give, the, of the first fruits of all thine increase, it says that in Psalms. It says, Thou shalt truly tithe all the increase of thy seed in the field that bringeth forth year by year. Okay? And thou shalt eat before the Lord thy God in this place which he shall choose this place to name there. Now it says, So you, you're going to tithe all your increase of your seed in that field. And then it says, And thou shalt eat before the Lord thy God. Now this is something again, you're eating before the Lord. You can actually eat before the Lord and it can be godly. In the place which he shall choose to place his name there. The tithe of thy corn, and thy wine, and thine oil, and the firstlings of thy herd, and of thy flocks, thou mayest learn to fear the Lord God. This is how you learn to fear the Lord God. But it sounds like a pretty cool thing to do to me. It doesn't sound like a really bad thing. And if, if the way be too long for thee, so that thou art not able to carry it, or if the place be too far for thee, which the Lord thy God shall choose to set his name there, when the Lord thy God hath blessed thee. Now, I believe what this is in reference to is that um, when you eat before the Lord in this place, it should be um, in the place which he shall choose. The God chooses. The the, in other words, I believe something having to do with the house of God or something like that. Well, this is Old Testament, so I can't say that I'm going to be totally dogmatic. But that's why it says, if the way be too long for thee, okay, so that you're not able to carry it. I believe this is this is the food, or this, um, I, don't, I think this is in reference to the tithe of this increase. If it's too far to carry, or if the place be too far for thee, which the Lord thy God shall choose to set his name there, when the Lord thy God hath blessed thee, then shalt thou turn it into money, and bind up the money in thine hand, and shall go unto the place which the Lord shall choose thee. I think it says when it when you shall turn it. What is it? It is most likely the tithe that he was in referencing in verse twenty two. You turn you turn that into money, and you bind up the money in your hand, and you go to the place which the Lord shall choose. Verse twenty six. And thou shalt bestow that money for whatsoever thy soul lusteth after. Whoa, whoa. 
for oxen and for sheep or for wine or for strong drink? Now, I'm just, I'm not advocating going out and getting wasted or anything like that. And I'm not saying we're under the same Old Testament Levitical covenants they were under. But it does say that here, and I think we should be able, as mature Christians, to discuss this type of thing. Now, if this reference was in wine, meaning grape juice, why does it say strong drink in the next one? Now, I'm not saying go on and get strong drink. I don't think you should ever do that, personally. But I'm saying that that's, that is a confirmation that we're dealing with an alcoholic substance here. Strong drink, or for whatsoever thy soul desireth, thou shalt eat before the Lord thy God. You're going to eat it before the Lord thy God, and it included strong drink. Now again, I'm not advocating this in this dispensation, but we need to at least be able to look at this and kind of ferret through this thing and see what it meant. Um, thou shalt rejoice, thou and thine household. It's something I guess you did. Whatever thy soul lusteth after? I don't know. It's in the Bible. We need to be able to at least look at it. Um, okay, so. He created wine to make glad the heart of man. Okay, so we already looked at those two verses. Um, 1 Timothy 5.23. 1 Timothy 5.23. What? The one I just... Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's why I like those little, that little blue letter Bible thing on, online, because if I just can remember two words in the verse, I can plug it in, or even one word, and I can find it usually. Sometimes I can't even find it then. I, 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 get the, I, get, well, I must get it messed up in my head or something. Um... Okay, I even forgot the verse there. First, okay, First Timothy five twenty three says, um, "Drink no longer water, but use a little wine for thy stomach's sake in thine oft often infirmities." And that's all it says there. Okay, so in this case, it was actually used in a health beneficial way. Um, I believe there's some reference to that Timothy had stomach problems or something, and a little wine for thy stomach's sake. But, you know, again, the Baptists only say, oh, this is only grape juice. Now, whoa, whoa, whoa. See, the problem is, is that they tell you something, and you automatically believe that, but see, the burden of proof is on them to prove this really isn't talking about wine. But that, but we feel bad when we say, oh, no, it's not grape, but see, the burden of, and it was never shown to me. It's never... Now, I heard one person say, Todd Whiff, he said, oh no, it's only new wine that's, that's grape juice. But I found a verse in the Bible, and I probably can't take you to it right this second unless I got one of this, but I found a verse clearly stating that new wine is what takes the heart away. Take it the heart away. Now, granted, here's the deal. God's talking about all this stuff. If you abuse it, if you do it in excess and you become a wine-bibber or a drunkard, or if you look at on wine when it is red in the cup and yet in, in, lest it sting leave like an adder, how do you reconcile those verses where it says that it's a blessing? And all the people, there's all these people that are, that are drinking it and in the New Testament, including Jesus, including Jesus Christ, he turned the water into wine, well, you're telling me that that verse was in reference to 
grape juice. The guy at the wedding party came up to him and says, usually when, when you have the wedding party, you set out the, 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 the best wine first, and you save the bad for last. And when a man is well drunk, says that exact word, then he doesn't even know the difference. Well, how could that apply to grape juice? Think, I mean, I'm just being reasonable here. And I'm not, again, I'm not advocating this. Let's all go out and get drunk and get wasted. I'm not advocating that. But I'm, I'm just, I'm bringing out the obvious things that are in Scripture. You know? The Passover was done with wine. The wine was, I mean, so, see, you know what? I, there's actually been a study. This totally, 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 totally confirms what we're learning here. You know what the study showed? It said that somebody that has a glass of wine with dinner... Now, there's been all these studies for the last 10 years showing that red wine in particular, if you drink a glass of red wine at dinner, has all of these things called prosanathiodins. They're very, 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 very good antioxidants. Antioxidants are one of the things that that, that, um, quench free radicals. Free radicals are one of the things that basically destroy us through age. Free radicals are one of the main reasons we age. Red wine is very, very, very high in antioxidants. But again, here we go with red wine. Red wine, most, most, all most wines have things called sulfites in them, which are not good for you. So the best kind of red wine would be non-sulfite organic red wine, which is very hard to find. You have to find it at a healthy store. You have to really go out of your way. Um, but they found, another thing they found, now that's been known for years. It's very good for your heart. And I'm talking a glass. I'm not talking about a bottle. Okay, it's very good for your heart. It's very, very good for antioxidant content. There's all kind of health attributes of it. And they found that if you have one glass of red wine with meal, it actually effectively doubles your liver's detoxification capacities. It doubles your liver's detox. Now we need that today because we're being bombarded with all these terrible chemicals. But you know what? If you drink two, it does the exact opposite the liver starts to actually shut down detoxification. So it's God's laws all over. If you apply God's laws in moderation, which is what we're dealing with here, it can be a, it can be a blessing. You go beyond that, and it can be a curse. It's, it's the same thing about eating honey. It says, eat a little honey, for your. but it says, if you eat too much, you'll vomit. People have actually died from drinking too much water. They gorged themselves with water to the point where the kidneys shut down and they died. Too much of anything is, is, is not a good thing. So, um, okay, let's look at this further. From Melchizedek to Solomon to Jesus, wine was the beverage of choice for God's saints. Now, some of this was probably by necessity because you could actually store wine in a fermented state and it wouldn't go bad. Do you know that I saw a documentary? I can't say for sure, but it says the pilgrims that came over, the Puritan pilgrims, and it, I don't know, I think they had their facts straight. I mean, there wasn't anything in there that really made me mad, like they were trying to beat up on Christians. That when they came over here, the main, and the only beverage they had on the whole ship was beer. That's true. Is it true? Kids were drinking it too. That's all they had to drink. There was nothing else. Why? Because you could keep fermented substances in barrels, they wouldn't go bad. You couldn't do that with water. Stagnant water in a barrel typically go bad. Unless you know what you're doing. And they didn't have food-grade hydrogen peroxide back then, or grapefruit seed extract they could put in there, or colloidal silver. They didn't have all that. So, fermenting, to them, was a way to prevent spoilage. Okay. 
So for Melchizedek to Jesus, wine was a beverage of choice. Genesis 14, 18. Let's look at that. <laughs> Get some Paps Blue Ribbon. <laughs> um, okay, Genesis 14, 18. Genesis 14, 18. Oh, well, this is where, And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought forth bread and wine. This is Jesus, basically pre-incarnate Jesus Christ. Now, we can prove that out easy. I mean, if you go to um, Hebrews 7, 2, where it talks about the Melchizedek priesthood. And what does this name mean? King of righteousness. Um, he was the king of Salem. Hmm, king of Salem. Do you know what Salem is short for? Jerusalem. Did you know that? Salem is short for that. What does Salem mean? It means peace. He's the king of righteousness. He's also the king of Salem. He's the king of peace. Isn't Jesus Christ the prince of peace? Interesting. Little points here. Let's just let's just pop over there real quick. I'm just going to really get nutty. Sorry. I lost control there. I'm just going to go to Hebrews 7.2 just to, just to look at that just real super quick. I cannot believe how time has gone away. Um, Hebrews 7.2 I think last week I got school because I went longer. Now I'm, I'm already used to that already. For, okay, Hebrews 7, two, uh, Hebrews 7, 1. For Melchizedek, king of Salem. Now, so you know, I was born in Salem, Ohio. Not where the Salem witch hunts were. Salem, Ohio. So I've always... What? Well, I'm sorry. Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God who met Abraham, returning from slaughter, and the kings, and blessed him, to whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all, first being, by interpretation, king of righteousness, and after that also king of Salem, which is king of peace, which is what we just confirmed. Without father, without mother, huh? Without father, now, earthly father, earthly mother, notice that father's a small F, not a capital F, because he does have a father, but not a, but a, but not a earthly father. Isn't that a little neat little thing there to look at? I, I have that underlined and highlighted, that little F. Without father, without mother, without descent. Well, what did the guy just do? Appear? Yep, that's how Jesus does. He can do that. That's how angels do it. Without mother, without descent, having neither beginning of days nor end of life. Huh. How could that be? Because he's not subject to time. Jesus Christ says, the Bible says, in the beginning was the Word. Capital W, Word. Who's the Word? Jesus Christ. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. No, hold on. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God. I can't believe it. I, I can't. I forgot that. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. All things were made by Him, the Word, and without Him was not anything made that was made. He created everything. Without mother, without descent, having neither beginning of days nor end of life. Doesn't sound like a human to me, your average human. But made like unto the Son of God. There we got the confirmation. Abideth a priest continually. Didn't, didn't Nebuchadnezzar, when he, looked into the, when he looked into the furnace, he says, there's one in the furnace, there's a fourth one walking in the furnace. He's like unto the Son of God. But you know what the NIV says? It says, he's like, he's like unto a son of the gods. Gods. Small g. You see how they pervert scripture? One little word is all it takes to leaven the lump. 
So, you know, um, anyway, it, it just goes on here and talks all about Melchizedek, okay? So, okay, so we, so we talked about Melchizedek. And let's go to 2 Samuel 6.19. I think probably one of the reasons I'm going so slow is because when you have this many scriptures, there's just no way you can go through it quick. It's just impossible. But it's, it's really cool Bible study, really. Uh, 2 Samuel 6.19 says, and he dealt among all the people, even among the whole multitude of Israel, as well as to the woman as to the men, to every one a cake of bread and a piece of flesh and a flagon of wine. What is a flagon? It's a measurement of wine. He gave, what's that? Yeah, that's probably more, uh, but they probably didn't drink it all at once. So they got a cake of bread, a piece of flesh, and a flagon of wine. Uh, so all the people departed everyone to his house. Now this is a good thing. As soon as David has made an end of the burnt offerings and the peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord of hosts. Well, he blessed them, and then he, then he gave them these, these things. He gave them wine, bread, and... But see, this is all ignored in the church. It's all totally ignored. It's, 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 it's they twist and they justify. That's why I'm so glad I'm not part of a 501c3 corporation, because I, I truly believe that when you do that, when you take on that covering, your thinking becomes distorted. Let's go further. Ecclesiastes 10.19. I'm not even going over it. Probably half of all the things this guy brought up. Ecclesiastes 10.19. Ecclesiastes 10.19. And a feast is made for laughter, and wine maketh merry, but money answereth all things. Interesting verse. From a worldly standpoint, money, granted, I, I don't want to leave Jesus Christ out of the picture, but from a worldly standpoint, money can answer a lot of things. It's not going to get you saved. Um, okay, then, John 2.11. John 2.11. See how that applies. Okay, no, hold on. Oh, okay. Uh, oh, let's just read this. And Jesus was called and his disciples to the marriage, and they wanted wine, the mother of Jesus, and they wanted wine. The mother of Jesus saith unto him, They have no wine. Now, are you telling me they have no grape juice? And again, how do we define these words? Well, if you go to a Noah Webster's, or even if you go to the Greek, it says the same thing. It says it's, it's, it's the alcohol, it's the fermented fruit of the vine. It says it in both. So, how do you make this leap of logic to say this is grape juice? You know, that's the thing. Okay, so it says, and they wanted wine. The mother of Jesus said unto him, now, now, I don't think if this was something totally evil, why would Mary be telling Jesus Christ, the Son of God, this? Jesus said that in a woman, have I, what have I to do with thee? Mine hour is not yet come. Um, his mother saith unto the servants, whatsoever he saith, do with it. Now, I got all kind of notes on this. 
And there were set there six water pots of stone, after the manner of the purifying of the Jews, containing two or three firkins apiece. Firkins were a lot. Firkin was about nine gallons. So there was there was six water pots of stone that contained two or three firkins. So that would be anywhere from 18 to 27 gallons apiece. Six. Times six. We're talking a ton. Okay? Jesus saith unto them, Fill the water pots with water. And they filled them up to the brim. Okay, now, um, they filled them up with water. And he saith unto them, Draw out now and bear unto the governor of the feast, and they bear it. This is the governor of the feast. Now, water is typically always in reference to the washing of the water of the word. The water is always usually compared to the word of God. Okay? Um, that's why the Bible says that. The wash in the water of the word of God. Um, and he said unto them, Draw them out, bear it unto the governor of the feast, and they bear it. When the ruler of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine, they knew not whence it was, but the servants which drew the water knew the governor of the feast called the bridegroom. Um, now, in the Passover... The wine is symbolic of the blood of Jesus Christ. This is my blood which is given for the New Testament. This New Testament that we're under now. This is my flesh. Now this isn't real. This is a type. This is a type. What is the bread a type of? Bread. Again, we talk about bread. How can this be evil? Bread is a type of the flesh of Jesus. It's, 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 it's basically the sacrifice he made of his body on the cross to save our souls and our sins. I think we're all in agreement there. And then the blood is the blood he shed on the cross of Calvary. Okay, what is symbolic of that in, in the, um, in the, uh, when we take, um, communion, or the Lord's Supper? Well, bread and wine, okay? And he turned the water, which is usually always symbolic with the Word of God, into wine, okay? Um, whereas the wine is typified as a type of the blood of Jesus Christ, and that's, and we, and we confirm that when we take the Lord's Supper, Okay? Um, I'm just reading some of the notes I have here. Okay. Um, so, and he saith unto him, Every man at the beginning doth set forth good wine. Now this is what the governor said to the bridegroom. Every man at the beginning does set forth good wine. And when men have well drunk, then that which is worse, in other words, then you put out the bad stuff, because everybody's so probably sloshed, which I don't advise, that they don't even they can't even discern the difference anymore. You're telling me that if you that would could apply to grape juice? Yes. This was really good good grape juice at the beginning, but now you've set out the bad stuff because I can't in my mind discern it anymore. That would only apply to if they were inebriated, if they were if they were affected from the alcohol. And then he says, but thou hast kept the good wine until now. This beginning of miracles did Jesus and Cain of Galilee and manifested forth his glory. Now, this was the beginning of his miracles. This was it. This was right here. This was the beginning of his miracles. It wasn't the beginning of his life. And it says, and manifested forth his glory. This glorified Jesus Christ. 
And his disciples believed on him after he did this. It doesn't sound like there was any downside to this miracle to me. And after this, he went down to the Capernaum, he and his mother and his brethren and his disciples, and they continued there not many days. Okay, now, the devil will always give you the best part first. And then the catch comes at the end. Whereas Jesus gave them the best part at the end. That's the life of the believer. Typically, the, the best part is not now. This is when, you know, all they that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. You know, blessed are you and men persecuting your value for my sake, for great is your reward in heaven. You know, daughter will turn against mother, mother against daughter, husband against wife, you know. All these, all these things, we're, we're not promised an easy, cushy life at all. Okay, whereas the devil will typically do it the opposite way. He'll give you that nice, big carrot up front to snag you in, and then later you're going to have to really pay the ultimate price, ultimately in hell. Jesus did something opposite here. He saved the best until last. Something to think about. And he did it through wine. Um, so anyway, I, I've got a lot of verses here, but the, we could get off into a big study on that, and I, I don't want to do that. Um, only God only God condemned drunkenness, which is the excessive use of wine. Which it is. I mean, I don't think we need to really go any further than that. And the real science, not testimonials from Gullible... He says, nor pulpit reigning from Bill, Billy Sunday, so, has confirmed the health benefits of wine today. And that is true. Again, granted, we have totally thrown the baby out of the bathwater. From what I can see. Now, if I'm wrong, if you can see where my logic's flawed, tell me. But it just seems like this is what the Bible's so clear on. Um, it would probably help George's high blood pressure. <laughs> um, so anyway... I know we're getting pretty late here. Um, do you want me to go ahead and stop? Oh. <laughs> Some of this is redundant. It, 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 I'll just go through a couple more. The Lord said, God makes, bread makes the man, the, the heart strong. We've already really talked. He's kind of redundant in this. The Bible mentions bread 330 times. In fact, there's a minimal nutrition um, Bread has been a staple of diet since creation, Genesis 3.19. Uh, Jesus said salt is good, Luke 14.34. Poor George Malcolm is contradicting the Lord Jesus Christ in the Bible over and over again, lists salts as one of the five whites which you are to avoid like the plague. Job knew the food tasted better with salt on it. And salt, especially the kind of salt like I'm in reference to, has all kind of trace minerals in it. And other minerals, it's not just salt. It's, it's all kind of trace minerals that your body needs in order to operate. Um, Luke 14.34, if we just look at that real quick. Luke 14.34. Salt is good. This is Jesus Christ. But if the salt have lost its savor, wherewith it be salted? Neither be fit for the land, nor yet for the dunghill, yet man cast it out. He that hath ears, let him hear. That's why it's always important as a Christian, you want to always be salt and light. Because if you stop being salt and light, and you've lost your savor, well, I don't know, that doesn't sound real good to me. I mean, at minimum, you're going to be saved yet so as by fire. Okay, that would be best case scenario, it sounds like, to me. So, salt is good, um... Moses knew that he could neither offer sacrifice of meat to God without salt. Leviticus 2.13. The only bad thing about salt is when it loses its saltiness, which is what we just talked about. Um, 
when, when David, a man after God's own heart, wanted to celebrate the goodness of God to Israel, he sent meat, bread, and wine to every home. This was in 2 Samuel 6.19. Why did, why did David do such a horrible thing? Here was a man after God's own heart sending killer foods to every home in Israel. <laughs> See what I mean? When you start looking at this stuff in light of scripture, it's like, wow, I never saw this before. Was he committing systematic genocide of the nation? Try to kill everybody. Maybe him, him and Ted Turner were, were a lot more likely than we thought. Or was it the wisdom of God that still followed in every fine restaurant in the world? Give God the glory. What did David eat on other occasions? He ate wheat, barley, corn, bread, pulse, honey, butter, sheep, cow cheese, raisins, figs, and wine. This is all documented in 1 Samuel 17, verses 17 and 18, and 2 Samuel 17, 28 and 29. We would have been highly offended with a glass of carrot juice and a piece of celery. Um, he and his hard-working men needed a whole lot more than a glass of carrot juice. I mean, if you ever drank a glass of carrot juice, it don't last real long. I mean, it's not anything substantial. <laughs> when, when, God, when God's ravens fed Elijah a diet from heaven, they sure did not bring him raw veggies and fruit. They brought him fresh flesh and bread, morning and evening. That's in 1 Kings 17, 1-7. Why does the Hallelujah Diet focus on Genesis 1:29, A covenant we're not even under anymore. A dispensation we're not under. And reject the rest of Scripture. Let's totally throw the baby out with the bathwater. If Jesus were here, he would say, Have you never read? That's what he would say. Um, which he said that quite a bit. The Gospel, and that's, what he, and that's a great point. If Jesus were here right now, and to these people, Have you never read? That's what we're doing. We're reading it. We're seeing for ourselves. The gospel is compared to wine and milk and bread. In Isaiah 55, 1 through 2. Isaiah 55, 1 through 2. Ho, everyone that thirsteth, come ye to the waters. And he that hath no money, come ye, buy and eat. Yea, come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Wherefore do ye spend your money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which satisfieth not? Hearken diligently unto me, that, and eat ye that which is good, and let your soul delight in its fatness. He said that's good. He mentioned wine, milk, and bread. He said it was good. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Amen. Amen. We don't want to get fat. Yeah. Um, so, was this sarcasm by God when he said these things were good? George calls these food deadly killers. Should we interpret the passage as comparing the gospel to arsenic and other poisons? Or have these food items been delightful components of healthy, prosperous, and pleasant and dying from the beginning? Jesus, as a child, ate the typical diet of Israel children. Butter and honey. This is another thing I always thought about. Isaiah 7.15. This is real obvious. This is what Jesus did. Uh, Isaiah 7.14. Because we know it's Jesus. Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Why? Because the Jews require a sign and the Greeks seek after knowledge. Okay? Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. Butter and honey shall he eat, that he may know to refuse the evil and choose the good. Well, what if you're not eating? Now, now, this, now there's a note I have here. This is indicating the plainness and simplicity of the life which the young Emmanuel should be brought up. And these are 
good, basic, simplistic foods. When we eat these types of foods, we know to refuse the evil and choose the good. Now, if, we, if we're grown up on junk food and Twinkies and Ho-Hos and all this other stuff, we don't, we don't know what's evil and what's not evil. We can't discern that. But it said this about Jesus Christ. Okay? Um, Mary loved Jesus. She gave him the best he could. What a magnificent combination. Butter and honey. Meat in the New Testament was a controversial subject dealt with many times due to the pagan customs of offering the meat to sacrifice to false gods. Why didn't the apostles preach against it as one of the five whites and the food killers? They could have solved the whole idolatry issue by simply preaching Genesis 1.29. Like Reverend George Malcolmus. But instead they taught where to get the meat and how to eat it. 1 Corinthians 10.25 1 Corinthians 10.25 Okay. Um, <clears throat> What's favorite thing is sold in the shambles that eat? Asking no questions for conscience sake. All th well, it says all things are lawful for me, but all not, not all things are expedient. All things are lawful unto me, but not all things edify. But all things edify not. Let no man seek his own, but every man's another's wealth. Whatsoever is sold in the shambles, that eat. Ask no questions for the conscience sake. For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Um, it, it, this gets into the whole sacrificing of idols to me, and I, I don't think that's something that's really super prevalent today that we have to hopefully worry about, you know, sacrificing, um, hopefully not. Um, Acts 15.20, Acts 15.20, but that we write unto them that they abstain from pollutions of idols and from fornication and from things strangled and from blood. Now, why would they say things strangled? Because if you strangle an animal and eat it, the blood's all still going to be in the meat. You haven't drained it out. Um, so, that's, that's, a, that's one of the, the tenets of this whole thing. Um, okay, and then they say the same thing in verse 29. Paul said that meat was not unclean and could be eaten freely. Romans 14, 14. This guy really got his scriptural references pretty much in line here. Um, Romans 14, 14 I know and I am persuaded by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself but to him that esteem anything to be unclean to him it is unclean but if thy brother be grieved with thy meat now walkest thou not charitably destroy not him with thy meat for whom Christ has died so in other words if you're doing something that you perceive is not evil and your brother who's let's say a baby Christian perceives it as evil, don't go out of your way to do that in front of him because you don't want to be a stumbling block before your brother. Okay, now, I do think the brother needs to get on the right track eventually, though, and stop being a baby Christian and get the full doctrine of God, but I think this is in reference to more of a, your actions around baby Christians. And he blasted any, touch not, taste not, handle not, which are all the parish with the using. Colossians 
I mean, you can go on and on about this thing, and you can prove it all in the New Testament. Colossians 2.20. Um, Wherefore, if, if ye be dead with Christ from the rudiments of the world, why, as though living in the world, are ye subject to ordinances? Ordinances, what is that like being bound up under the law? Touch not. Taste not. Handle not. Huh. That sounds like, don't eat this food, don't eat that food. Can't do that, can't do this, we're still under the law. Which are all to perish with the using, after the commandments and the doctrines of men. Men. It's not the doctrine of God. Granted, there was a Levitical time when you, there were certain things you couldn't do, but they're not under that covenant. So, um, so, just some real interesting points. He plainly states that eating, that eating or not eating meat made no difference in 1 Corinthians 8.8, 8, but the only reason for not eating meat was for conscience due to idols. 1 Corinthians 8.9-10. Uh, why did Paul recommend wine for Timothy's stomach infirmities? We already read that verse. Why did he teach that wine was superior to water? Why did he tell Timothy to distill... Why didn't he tell Timothy to distill his water and add a little barley powder, like George Malcolmus does? Why didn't he recommend raw fruits and vegetables? Why not a daily regimen of coffee enemas? If wine is a dangerous poison that George Malcolmus maintains, Paul was an accomplice in Timothy's murder. Oh! But remember, Paul was inspired. Wise men knew wine was helpful then, and they still know it today. But again, let's be... If it's loaded with sulfites, it's, I, mean, I don't think it's near as good. How did they know? God gave them the wisdom and 4,000 years of experience had it to confirm. John the Baptist was the greatest prophet ever. He lived with high energy on a diet of honey and locust meat, both animal products, ultimately. He had no vegetables or fruit. Do you think he cooked the locusts? Um, did George Malcolmus overlook this passage? Jesus Christ of Nazareth, the Son of God, lived with high energy and good health on a diet of meat and wine. Um, Luke 7.33 I mean, it's, it's after a while, it gets so overwhelming, the evidence. It's like, you know. But, you know, it's, it's crazy. You couldn't go preach this in, in any Baptist church. They'd, oh, he's apostate. We're, we're, no, we're, we're more holy than that. We're more holy than the Word of God. Luke 7.33. The, that's why the Bible says, By the traditions of men, you've made the Word of God of an effect. So it's, you know, one of the many reasons. So, Luke 7.33. For John the Baptist came neither eating bread nor drinking wine, and ye say he hath a devil. The Son of Man has come eating and drinking. It says it right there. And ye say, Behold, a gluttonous man and a wine-bibber, a friend of publicans and sinners. Well, the, well I, I, I really believe if, the, uh, if your average fundamental independent Baptist was around, and, the, and they would, in a way, they would condemn... They overlook all of this. They would be the same one saying, well, Jesus is drinking a little bit of wine, and he's, he's, a, he's a drunkard. He's a wine-bibber. I'm sorry, but that's the, way they, that's the way they act. A gluttonous man, a wine-bibber, a friend of publicans and sinners. Right, exactly. <laughs> In moderation. <laughs> Um, so, we got that. <laughs> Why did Jesus prepare a large quantity of poison for a wedding? John 2, 1-11. through 11. 
he not, which is where we, the verse we just talked about, not only, not only would he have contributed greatly to serious health problems and the guests an early demise, but he set a horrible example for the whole assembly. Terrible. Why would he do it? He was obeying Solomon's inspired wisdom that wine was created for pay, making people merry. We already talked about those verses. Why did Jesus Christ eat baked fish and bread, which he himself baked in a fire and gave it to his disciples in the name of dining? We already talked about that verse. If fish and bread are both dangerous and godly for eating, why did the Son of God provide this meal to his disciples? Why didn't he meet them on shore with some carrot juice and some munchies? Veggie munchies. <laughs> Here, Peter, here's your glass of carrot juice. <laughs> Jesus fed unlimited people bread and fish to large crowds so that they could eat their fill, which caused thousands of people, which probably caused thousands of people untold health problems, according to George Malcolmus. Why did Jesus multiply the loaves and the fishes? When such a diet leads to incredible physical problems ranging from cancer to hemorrhoids to pimples, was Jesus trying to create cancer in order to heal it later? <laughs> he brings up some great points. Or was there another explanation? Jesus taught that the good fathers give wonderful food like bread, fish, and eggs to their children for gifts. Luke 11, 11. Luke 11, 11. And if a son asks bread of any of you that is his father, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks a fish, will he give him a serpent? Or if he asks an egg, will he give him a scorpion? These are all good things to ask for. If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father... Now, it says, if ye, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children. He's saying these things are good. Okay? It, things to think about, you know? When you start to think about it, it's like, wow, this really is overwhelming. Um, did he neglect his health due to his approaching crucifixion? <laughs> um, the, and then it says, Jesus ate the Passover with great desire, which was a wonderful meal of lamb, bread, and wine. We know this, Luke twenty-two, fourteen 14-20. Lays the whole thing out. Um... Are these three things basic to any good meal and a nutrition diet? Why didn't he institute the Hallelujah Diet for the Lord's Supper by choosing carrots and prune juice for elements? He chose the food components the people of God had always eaten. Bread and wine are the components of a fellowship meal. Remember Melchizedek and Abraham. Why did the father of the prodigal son celebrate the victory of his son by killing the fatted calf, which is tender veal? Why didn't he fix a carrot and raisin salad with bird feed? <laughs> Why didn't he kill a scrawny, bony, tough, range-fed old cow? Why was it the fattest of the flock always the best of the flock? Now, again, I still don't think you're supposed to just cut off the fat and eat it, okay? Um, and then he's got all of these references about killing the fatted calf. If you read the Bible with understanding, you know that a stalled ox, one loaded with fat from not being able to move, is better than a salad. Um, that's in Proverbs fifteen seventeen. Proverbs fifteen seventeen. Better is a dinner of herbs with love than a stalled ox and hatred therewith. So in other words, they're 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 saying it's better even though a, a dinner of herbs is better if you have love there than a stalled ox, which is basically they're saying is a better feed, but but to have uh, hatred at the at the table, which I totally agree with. I've been there on that one. Um, why did God make, uh, let's see here, God endorsed the 
teaching of nature. God endorsed the teaching of nature. And what does nature teach about diet? It teaches us to eat meat, wine, bread, butter, milk, eggs, cheese, salt, and all the staples man has relied on for 6,000 years. All of which George Malcolm has totally condemns. God has given him over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. Romans 1.28 Good point. For, for punishing oneself with carrot juice and barley powder is certainly not convenient in light of the dietary history. Now, I'm not saying you couldn't have a little bit of carrot juice or barley. I don't think those are evil in and of themselves, but you would have to be moderate about it, you know? I went to um, the uh, Ada's the other day. When I go in there, I will typically order two ounces of, of uh, wheatgrass juice, which is a super high vitamin-packed thing. But I do that once every couple weeks. I'm not even doing it every day. Now, that's a green juice, and that has a much lower glycemic index. It doesn't have near the carbs, and it doesn't, I mean, the taste on that is pretty heavy-duty. But, I mean, I felt good. That's, um, my, my patient Robin was the one that supplies them with all the wheatgrass juice. But I don't think you can just, you should just live on a steady diet of it. Um, Honoring parents is the single most important factor in longevity, is plainly taught in the Bible, Exodus 20, 12, and Ephesians 6, 2, 3. But George makes his man-made and foolish diet ideas more important than what the Bible does teach. Do you know why? You cannot sell parental honor. It will not come out of a juicer. <laughs> he brings up some good points I wouldn't even have thought of. You cannot distill it. Preaching the honest truth of the Bible will neither make you money nor fill seminar seats. Now see, what this guy does, what this charlatan does, because I got a cancer patient now, and they've totally went over this, I can't talk them out of it. And she gives me this book and this video. So I plop the DVD in, and, I, and he comes up there, and he, he runs up on stage, and he just he's so vibrant for life. And he's oh, golly gee whiz, you know. And, you know, he's up there, and he's like Jack LaLanne on steroids, you know. I mean, he's not, he's not big and muscular like Jack LaLanne, but none of these guys ever are, because you, you can't maintain muscle mass doing this, typically, eating that way. And um, he's just up there going like, he sounds so sincere, like Jack Van Impey, you know, and, and he's up there, and then he, then he has everybody in the audience start doing their testimonials, and oh, you're surrounded with all these testimonials, and his vim and vigor up there, and you're just going to believe whatever he says, it doesn't matter. That's what happens. They get caught up in the emotion the heart is deceitful above all things. Hmm. They're in an environment that's totally leavened. You're on his game. And I mean, I just turned it off after a while. I'm like, there's no way. I don't care what these people say. Yes, if you went from eating ho-hos and Twinkies and, 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 and eating everything processed to this, you're probably going to feel better. Yeah. No, no doubt about it. Um, but it's not the best way. Nobody's going to convince me of that. Heaven is where sickness will be taken away, not hallelujah acres. If George was a minister of Jesus Christ, he would be teaching the accomplishments of the Lord's death on the cross, not speculations about a New Age diet from India that the Bible, Bible flatly contradicts. Um, Paul focused on Jesus Christ and him crucified. Well, I also believe that we are the body of Christ, and we do need to get into issues like this so we can talk about these things. India provides the largest case study of vegetarians in the world. Here we go. You want to see what the fruit of vegetarianism... Look at India. India, probably the darkest, most disgusting, most vile country on the planet. You talk about a nasty, dark place. They have... The, one of their favorite gods is the god of dung. 
And they'll go and they'll take a goat outside and chop his head off with a machete. You can't even go into the god of dung because it stinks so bad you have to have a gas mask on. Of course, the Indians can do it because they're used to it. They take cow dung and they use it to make all their food with it. They use it as a fire source. And they take it and they put it in a liquid form and they put it all over their floors to have a nice shiny chamois. You know, Nonetta, you might want to start doing that here with some cow dung. With the horse dung even. You could just you could get the floors nice and nice uh, brown color. With nice and shiny. They do this. It's that crazy. They think that the, the, the cows, their ancestor, they've got over a million gods they worship. They have no pity on one another because they believe if they see somebody in the ditch walling around in distress, they believe that guy did something in a former life to, to, to make something mad and therefore he, he's getting whatever he deserves. I have been told in Satanism that people that know a lot about the Satanic um, realm will say that um, what they what they have found is that the caste system, which is the way they have the religious system set up in India, is the most is the closest thing to the way Satan has his hierarchy set up, his fallen angels set up, the caste system of India. Okay, so I mean, you know, I don't mean to sugarcoat it, but I mean, you know, they're they're really a great great religion. You know, Hinduism just and this is a fruit of Hinduism. Hinduism's two chief gods are Shiva and Kali. Shiva's the god of destruction, and Kali is his daughter, who's the god of death. I mean, you know, they're right on the money, though, right down the line. And so, India provides the largest case study of vegetarians in the world, and they, and they can't eat any meat either, because, you know, they're so holy. What do we find in India? An average life expectancy of 912 years old? Is that what we find? <laughs> no, an average life expectancy of 59 years. As the 1995 data, what is the problem? They avoid meat religiously. Well, that's one of the problems. They're also filthy. Americans live an average of 18 years longer than Indians. And we're a poor example of that anyway. We still beat them by 18 years. And why not? One pound of steak has the nutrients of 100 pounds of salad or rice mush. India has one-sixth of the Earth's populations, but no athletes. Think about this. How many individual Olympic medals has the nation earned since the Olympics resumed in 1896? Now, I don't advocate the Olympics. It's pagan. It's satanic. And I'm not saying pursue an athlete, but it's something to think about from a physical standpoint. Do you know how many medals the, the Indians have won? They have one-sixth of the world's population. You'd think they'd have a disproportionate amount of medals. Oh, no. You know how many medals they've won since 1896? Three bronze. They got one-sixth of the world's population because they're so healthy. Vegetarians. They avoid meat religiously. They should have prodigious strength and endurance for not polluting their bodies with animal protein. According to, to George Malkovus, something is wrong with their training table menu. Bummer! Um, the Bible says, The simple believe every word, but wise men look well to their going. God's people are to prove all things, according to 1 Thessalonians 5.21. Those who follow George are incredibly simple because hallelujah diet contradicts the plain testimony of scripture the eating habits are all men since the flood and all the available scientific evidence for optimal nutrition. Testimonials are worthless. They are available for every scam in world's history. Read your next piece of junk mail and see. How can anyone read a testimonial and not think that they're liars or it's a placebo effect or there's a financial motive or some psychological need or countless of other influences that cause people to subjectively believe something that is not true. Only a fool would think he's reading all the testimonials. Only a fool would think he is reading all the testimonials. Only the most flattering are ever used. What about all the other testimonials? You know? 
what about them? Every cult, hoax, fraud, gimmick, and always has testimonials. Ever wonder about that? Simple reason, they have no proof for their products, so they cover it with unproven testimonies. They're often created or handpicked lies. The rest of them are hallucinations or self-deceived simpletons that cannot explain the imagined change in their lives or its cause. The power of suggestion, the placebo effect on a person that does not want to die becomes very powerful. The Jehovah Witnesses have thousands of testimonies to the saving effects of the Watchtower religion. Oh, and they're all going to burn in hell. The Internet has numerous testimonials as, as to the life-changing effect of using um, psychics. What about the testimonials of Ken Roberts' commodities trading advertisement? What about the... Oh, I didn't mean to say that. Breast enlargement testimonies. Um, what about the certain riches from every multi-level marketing plan? See where we can go with this? Um, for every testimonial you read that says a favorable thing about anything, you miss the 20 people who actually got worse or spent a lot of money to get worse. But, of course, publishing those testimonies would not be in the vested interest of the huckster. So you never see them. Bible Christians are supposed to be wise. And the last thing wise men do is believe testimonies. Un un unsubstantiated. Proverbs thirteen sixteen. I'm almost done here. Um, Proverbs thirteen sixteen says... Every prudent man dealeth with knowledge, but a fool layeth open his folly. Um, 14.15, Proverbs 14.15, The simple believe every word, but the prudent man looketh well to his going. Okay. Romans 3.4 Romans 3.4 says Romans 3.4 God forbid, yea, let God be true and every man a liar. Okay, so, anyway, we well, that's pretty clear on that. Um, George Malcolmus is also a blasphemer. Using the word hallelujah to sell George's diet is blasphemy. Think about this. Hallelujah means praise Jehovah. For it contains the shortened form, the shortened form of Jah, and and of that name Jehovah. Let's just go there, just so I can show you this Psalm sixty-eight four. I like this guy's got everything referenced. I don't have to Psalm sixty-eight four. And if you read this online, you can actually click on the thing, and it appears right there in this little box. The verse. It's really cool. Psalm sixty-eight four. Uh, Psalm 68.4 Sing unto God, sing praises unto his name, extol him that writeth upon the heavens by his name Jah. Capital J, capital A, capital H. And rejoice before him. It's the only time it occurs in the Bible. But it's a short form of Jehovah. Okay? Jah, the name of Jehovah. Je Jehovah is the English equivalent of I am that I am. Which is talked about in Exodus 3.14 and 6.3. Using Jehovah's name to market a man-made diet for financial gain is blasphemy. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. George Malcolmus is also a slanderer. Using hallelujah to sell George's diet is slandered. The Lord Jehovah um, loves meat. 
he ate meat with Abraham, he demanded that Israel give him countless sacrifices of cooked and salted meat every day of their national existence. It wasn't as though then he ate the meat, though, but, I mean, it was what they gave as sacrifices. He gave every kind of meat to Noah and his sons to enjoy the blessing on the earth. He would have been violently offended with a bucket full of carrot juice, and he would have been. I mean, that would have been, that would be like Cain bringing the vegetables, and Abraham, or, or, or Abel bringing the, the, the meat offering. The one displeased God, and he rejected it, and so much fervor came of that, Cain ended up killing Abel over this, almost this very subject. Why does this truck farmer and snake oil salesman call himself a reverend? He certainly does not work, he certainly does not do the work of a New Testament minister, which is specified in 1 Corinthians 2.5 and Galatians 6.14. Does his title help him sell barley powder? Does it help to see the simple? Only God is reverend. Psalm 111.9. Let's just see what that says real quick. Because I want to get that verse. Psalm 111.9. Psalm 111.9. He set his redemption unto his people. He hath commanded his covenant forever. Holy and reverend is his name. Only God is reverend. Um, Okay, so. So, highlight that. Okay. So, Holy and Reverend is his name. It's his name. His name. Not not a man's name. Religious titles like Reverend, Reverend are like Reverend are plainly condemned. I don't think pastor or bishop or these are things that are mentioned in the Bible. Reverend George must not read his Bible very closely. But we have already observed that. If George were a real minister of Jesus Christ, he would be preaching Christ, not carrots. Why does this diet and the salesmen promoting it attract people? Simple. Lies always prosper more than truth. Just ask Jesus. John 8.45 There is no light in George's ideas, for the Bible plainly declares that his diet is darkness. People afraid of dying and looking for the fountain of youth provide a ready market for George and other hucksters. The hollow you diet is heresy. Um, yeah, it is. Why did he have a stroke at 67? Men with far more stress in their lives, but living on meat and bread and wine, generously do not have strokes so early. Was he too busy? Was his diet too poor? The same thing must have been asked, why does he take blood pressure medication? Are we going to be sorry for George that he's had a stroke or he admitted the failure of his perfect diet? What's, I mean, what's going to happen before he gets to be 912 years old? Um, why did George have to add vitamin B12 supplements to the Hallelujah diet? Because there is none in raw fruits and vegetables, and there is not. Even though he and his followers, and there's a lot more than that's not in it, even though his followers swear that God made fruits and vegetables with perfect quantities and proportion of nutrients for maximum human health. There's no scientific evidence from a third party, double-blind studies proving any merit to the barley powder. No, I wouldn't, I, I've had barley powder, I think it's a good thing, but it's a good supplement. A supplement is something you add into addition to what you're doing. But a supplement is not the primary thing you base your life off. Um, fruit juice has more sugar than actually Coca-Cola if you measure it by the amount of simple sugars per ounce. If you want apple juice, then eat two apples. If you want orange juice, then eat an orange. Why guzzle 24 ounces of sugar water that has been squeezed from a bushel of oranges or apples? No wonder Americans are a nation of carbohydrate addicts, and that is a very good point, because we are. Long-term strict, ve- strict vegetarian brings significant health hazards due to nutrient deficiencies. And this is, I've seen it with people. Uh, and he's got all these links you can go explore if you want to go further with this. Uh, 
If a person wants to drink barley powder, distilled water, and carrot juice, that is their liberty in Christ Jesus. But they do not have the right to pervert or script, twist scripture. That's the point of this. Sure, you have liberty. You can do that. But don't pervert scripture, uh, uh, twist scripture because you've just invented your own false religion. The long-standing teaching and nature in, of nations, uh, the long-standing teaching of nature and nations, or the readily available scientific literature to justify their man-made Eastern New Age diet, which really what this is. They do not have any right to expect or require it of others in the name of biblical Christianity. Um, and then he says, if you think this document is too harsh and not very Christ-like, please check out the sermon outlines below or read the following Bible passages. And he goes through all these Bible passages. And we are supposed to reprove the unfruitful works of darkness and mark them which cause division and offenses contrary to the doctrine you have learned. And avoid them. For they that are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly, and by good words and fair speeches deceive the hearts of the simple. Romans 16, verse 17 and 18. So that's what old Georgie Borgie, putting in pie, has done to his followers. And they are followers. So anyway, yeah, yeah. Um, so anyway, um, that I'll, I'll end it today. Oh my word. I've only went over four hours. Um, sorry about that. Uh, Anyway, I'll go ahead and close this out in a word of prayer. And that's just one little thing. I'm still... <laughs> Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day and all that you've given us. Lord God, your mercy. I do praise God for the wisdom that you've bestowed upon us, God. In the time of darkness that we live in, Lord God, I praise you all the more that you have given us um, the discernment, Lord God, and the courage and strength to... Act on what you're showing us, Lord God, that we're not just going to go along with whatever the world tells us or what even the modern-day church might even espouse. Or people that call themselves men of God, I pray to God that your fear would be upon the church, God. And you said in your word that judgment must begin at the house of the Lord. And I pray to God in the name of Jesus Christ for their sakes, for the sakes of the souls that need to be saved within the church, I do pray to God for your judgment upon the church. I, God, I, I believe the people in this room with us, Lord God, are are out of that system at this point. And I do pray, God, that your fear would be upon them, and upon us, and upon the body of Christ, and upon the sin-sick world, God, and that that fear would drive them to repentance, that all men would see and fear and declare the work of God, for they would wisely consider of your doing. I do pray, pray, Lord God, that you would continue to bestow upon us wisdom, and that, Lord God, that you would give the people listening to this tape, listening to this audio recording, hearts to, to receive, eyes to see, and, and ears to hear, God, and that, Lord God, you would cleanse us from all sins that we have committed, God. That you would forgive us for any and all sins that we have committed. That you would cleanse us from presumptuous sins and secret faults. That they would not have dominion over us. Lord God, I pray, God, you bring us back at the next appointed time. And that you would save our family members, Father God, that are unsaved. For it's your will that not one would perish, but that all would come to repentance. And those that are in our lives, God, I pray to God, you save their souls as well. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.